everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 386. I'm your host, Chris Zoner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix, Span and Bix. Happy New Year, 2023. Wow, it's, uh, it's amazing. We are uh, about to enter our eighth year of doing this show. My goodness gracious. I just feel old. <laughs> well, we're all getting older. You know, it's just part of part of life that we age. Hopefully we age. And uh yeah, I mean it's just that's the way it goes. So but anyway, we're still uh doing pretty good I, I think for ourselves. On yeah. so there's that. Yes, yes. And we're getting so old that we've got a new Patreon show. And an announcement of what our next Patreon shows are gonna be. Yes, because, of course we are uh finishing off this uh, this year of 2022 with the Patreon, as we close out with uh, the end of the 25 Years of Montreal series, three-part series that we did. Part three is now up as we uh, entered 1998 in the story, where we'll have uh, news with uh, Vincent Mann on Off the Record and Michael Landsberg to talk about. We got Wrestling with Shadows stuff, although we're not playing close to that because we play close to that. On part one. so But we got news about that and people's thoughts about that and all kinds of other stuff uh, involving uh, Brett and Sean and Montreal and all the, the foolishness that was going on there. And, of course, we're getting this era now where Wrestling with Shadows is starting up that we're starting to rehash Montreal in the booking on wrestling television. So, yes, yeah, a trend that would continue for many, many, many years. But a great way to cap off the series that we did and uh, we want everybody to uh, listen to that and listen to the other shows if you haven't done that already. Find all of them up at patreon.com slash 20 sheets. Get you access to that series and all the other Patreon shows that we've done in our six full years of the Patreon. Now we're getting to, now we're in seven years to Patreon now. So everybody go check that out. And um, if you want to get a taste of the Patreon, we did release uh, a super cut of two of our older shows as uh, a, a special Christmas present for everyone as we uh, uploaded our look back at the Kip Allen Fry's era WCW. So everybody go look, look, at, look at that. Everybody go listen to that uh, as it's up there for free. It's a, uh, some super cut of both shows together combined. So uh, yeah, I know we haven't um, did a lot of WCW Patreon shows recently, but uh Yes, everybody go check that out, and uh, thought that was good stuff, a great era of WCW history, and uh, check that out, and that give you a taste of what uh, you can get for that $5 at patreon.com slash between the sheets. So, um, and, and, and we made the announcement on the show that we just put out of what our next shows will be, as we are starting a new mini-series here, a two-part series, as uh, we start with January and February, and our look back at a year in the life of Paul Heyman. Yes, and actually this show, the main show this week, has a little note that will pretty much kick off that. So, um, yeah, this is an interesting year as Paul Heyman starts the year and, and you know, bad turns with WCW and leaving WCW, and then we have WWN and all that going on with Jim Crockett. And then uh, joining up with Eastern Championship Wrestling. 
replacing his best friend, Eddie Gilbert, as the booker. So a lot going on. Paul, of course, being Paul, you know he's out there in the newsletter. So this should be quite the series as we look at a year in the life of Paul Heyman on patreon.com slash twin the sheets for the months of January and February. So, yep, I know we haven't done a Paul or Eddie show lately, and here we go. We're bringing them back. Always a popular subject. Yes, and speaking of years, remember, with the Patreon, you can also pay for a year in advance, and you get 16% off and pay 50 40 a year, if you so choose, for the $5 tier. That's right. Yes, that is an, that is an option. Yes, so you will get to hear, if you sign up, uh, for example, a partial, because not all of it is about current stuff, transcript of an interview that John Clark did with him in the middle of the night. Well, Paul, Paul had his, his hours. <laughs> yes, he did. I mean, it's wrestling hours, really. But it is what it is. Yeah, lots of interviews in this one. Yeah. Paul does multiple interviews with Wrestling Flyer, with the Torch. Crockett does a Torch talk. There's the Eddie Wrestling Flyer interview. There's some stuff from Medusa. There, There's a lot to... There's a lot to glean with a lot of uh, first-hand on-the-record stuff in, the, in this one. So, looking forward to it. And it's one where Paul actually doesn't come off that bad. <laughs> well, how about that? <laughs> so, there you go. All right. So, on that note, let's get started with the show. So, 386. And we are discussing the week that was December 28th, 1992 to January 3rd, 1993. And we begin with World Championship Wrestling. Remember when the word Starcade gave you thoughts of the best card of the year? Starcade no longer means that. But it had more than enough good to qualify as a solid thumbs up in Dave's book. The show was highlighted by two excellent matches. Ricky Steamboat Shane Douglas against Brian Pillman and Barry Windham. And Sting versus Big Van Vader. And one pretty good match. Windham and Gray Muda against Brian Pillman and Tuco Scorpio. The rest of the show wasn't good. Halfway into the show, after two singles world title matches had ended and a tag title match was starting, the show was in the toilet. And actually, far worse than he dreaded Halloween Havoc was at the same point. But major credit has been given to the four wrestlers in the tag match for saving and turning the show around. And the Sting Invader for putting on a match you better than an excellent match at the Great American Bash. The battle rolls anticlimactic after the Sting Invader match, but the surprise ending was at least entertaining. Interesting, excuse me. It appears based on the past few cards at the standards of judging these shows is that a card with two excellent matches, like SummerSlam 92, is a soft thumbs up. An excellent match and a good match, like Survivor Series 92, is a split vote. Two goods and two okays with key matches really bad, like Halloween Havoc, a major thumbs down. And one good and great angle in the November Clash is a major thumbs down. So Dave guesses that means two excellence and one very good has to be a thumbs up, even when the rest of the show wasn't good at all. The Battle Ball Freeland matches drew no crowd heat, and only one of the four qualifies a good match. Then Great Muda versus Masiro Chono did just about everything wrong and having a technical sound match utilized just by every hole that isn't over nor understood in the United States, which equaled a library-like atmosphere in a bore fest until the final minute. Ron Simmons, Steve Duff Williams, a last-minute suffer injured Rit Rude, also generated no heat and had a flat double count-off finish, then reversed to a disqualification on Doc, which made the show feel like another one of those impending disasters, especially having a bad substitute match for the main event. The legit story was Rit Rude is suffering from a bulging disc in his neck, the same injury that scheduled my actions since suffering on December the 9th. When the injury occurred more than two weeks back, WC officials so Dave was told that no Rude wouldn't be able to work until December 26th. Dave supposed it would be impossible to get the change on a Sunday show. 
although it would have required extreme last-minute effort by putting a crawl on the screen, since the show was probably completed a few days beforehand. You can argue whether or not it's feasible when a main event world time match pay per view is changed, but Dave's got to believe it was possible and should have been done. Rude, from all indications, despite what has been heavily rumored and reported by everywhere, was not going to win a title from Ron Simmons. We'll be out of action for an estimated eight weeks. It's pretty well said on the show that the U.S. title will be vacated because of his injury, and either Rick Steamboat or Dustin Rhodes will win the title in the tournament. you got to figure Steamboat holding the tag title to the natural next champion will be. No pun intended. Dave assumes Rude won't return until the February 27th pay-per-view show. This was a controversy at the time regarding Rude and how WCW should have played it. Um, Star K was on December the 28th. So if they knew, let's see, December 28th, 1992. All right, that was on a Monday. That's right, a Monday pay-per-view, folks. So they knew as of that Saturday... So they had the Sunday TV. They could have done something at least on Sunday to get that word out there. Something. I mean, they would have made them look a little bit better if they could have done that. Yeah. Um, but it's also a holiday weekend. There is that. I know. I know the cover your tracks. You know, at, le- at least have that on there. So, so well, we, we tried. <laughs> we made an effort. It's better to try to make an effort and not do anything at all. You know? Yeah. And Rue and Rue wasn't gonna win the title from Simmons, as we know, and we'll talk about that as we the show moves forward. Yeah. I mean this wasn't gonna happen because of the plans, but still, I mean there's things that you that you that you need to do. Yeah. And okay, how long is Rude actually out? I'm pulling up wrestling data real quick. Hey, he was out for a minute. Yeah, it was. It, I, I don't think it's as short as it says here. Uh, he does come back in March, so he's only out really a couple months. Well, if it were twenty seventh, is when they thought he was coming back. So yeah, yeah, March eighth is his actual first match back. Um, I hate to say it, but I mean, you kind of also want to because he gets hurt even worse a year and a half later. He probably should have just retired here. Rune. Yeah. I mean, he is a shell of himself when he comes back. Um, Health-wise, yeah. But, I mean... I'm also just curious how how much of this is just a 92-93 context. How much more treatable would this have been 10 years later? Well, yeah. There, well, all this stuff is that way. You know? I mean, all these these types of injuries. But... I think if he would actually have some type of, you know, maybe better surgery, yeah, he would have been out longer, but it would have maybe helped him in the long run. Well, clearly he doesn't have better surgery. But, that's but, what I'm saying. And, and that's the thing with wrestlers, you know, in the old days, you know, more, they're, they're, a lot of them just would, uh, you know, forego surgery and try to do it on their own, heal on their own, and that did not work. I know you. I know you don't want to lose that that money, but you know you gotta look out for your future too. But I just anyway, realized that we'll probably, what? probably one of the reasons he gets bigger, so much bigger, is that he's probably doing more stuff to see if it'll help heal the injury. Possible, possible. 
All right, so Starcade at the Omni Atlanta on December 28th drew 6,500 paid, one of 6,000 of the building, or roughly half a house on a building set for 15000 and a $70,000 gate. It would be the third largest live gate for WCW 1992, so it's not a failure. But Dave's not sure that 6500 pay would upper deck tickets for $5 for Starcade. The Omni would be considered a success either. Uh, it's damning with faint praise, <laughs> basically. That shows how bad WCW's case was in 1992. So, yeah, that's not good. Not good for a event branded as Starcade at the Omni. And it's on a Monday. It's on a Monday night too. I mean, I know there's no school, but it's on a Monday night. You know, it's not. At least fans aren't show aren't showing up as the show is going on with tons of visible empty seats like the one we just talked about. But but it's Atlanta, so that happened all that happened all the time at sports events. So I mean, no, but I'm saying. Like, I mean, that's an Atlanta thing. But it's not like there are other WCW Omni pay per views that look like Starcade '89 does at the beginning. Mm, no. So and and I don't know what the Omni had on the twenty seventh. Well, they couldn't have it on the tw- on that Sunday, but because the Halls were in town, they were on the road. So Omni may, Omni may have been booked for something else. I don't know. Concert or some shit. Who knows? Let's see. Maybe I can find something. December twenty seventh, nineteen ninety two. The the Omni. Uh. No, nothing there. Nothing on Google that's easily found. So there you go. All right. Um, for the opening match, Hank Aaron made an appearance, <laughs> presenting the 1991 Battle Bowl ring to Stink. Hmm. Why are they doing this a year later? I don't know. But let's go to that, shall we? Let's go to uh, Hammer and Hank Aaron as he's at Starcade. And uh, he's with uh, Cowboy Bill Watts. And boy, the, these two would become uh, interesting uh, names together uh, in the next month. So let's go to the clip. All right, thank you very much, Jim Ross. And what a big night it is for World Championship Wrestling here at the Omni. Very honored to be beside of the Executive Vice President of Wrestling Operations, Cowboy Bill Watts, and the all-time home run king. You don't have to introduce this man in Atlanta or across the world. Henry Aaron, let's hear it for Hank Aaron here with us. And Bill, what a great night we're having. Well, that's right, Tony. You know, Battle Bowl was a dream of Dusty Rhodes, and it started in WCW last year. And there was a great champion of the Battle Bowl series was Sting. And we're starting a new tradition where every year the winner of Battle Bowl will receive a Battle Bowl ring, just like a Super Bowl ring. And we're going to give Sting what a great sign that is. Then whoever wins tonight will be given the ring for this year. And who better Pause. to give an award this prestigious? The sign behind Bill Wise as he's talking says, Ted and Jane, wake up. Starcade is on. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, at least he sent Hank. <laughs> All right, back to Starcade to help establish this tradition for WCW than Hammer and Hank Aaron. If we can get the Stinger to come out now. That's right. All right, let's bring out Sting! The best Sting music. Uh, nice WCW everybody moment there when they're 
the director goes to take a jib shot, not realizing that Larry Zbysko and Missy Hyde are patiently waiting for, to be cut to after the segment on the podium or stage thing. Yeah, I, I think it's just a, maybe a you know a circumstance thing there. I mean, I, but I mean, it's, they they wanted to get that wide shot of Sting going down the ramp, and they just got caught up in it. Yeah, I forget when does he start using man called Sting. In '93, because right, right near the beginning of '93, this is one of the 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 final times he's using this song. Yeah, because shame because Slam Jam they start advertising very early '93, I believe. Damn shame! Yes. Okay, quick question, actually. Which do you like better, the original or the New Japan version? Well, this is the best version. Okay. This is the Sting song. I mean, this is the one I I grew up with and saw I mean, in, in shows and stuff. This is the song. I do like the live version from the Tokyo Dome, though. Of the, I mean, it's the same song, the New Japan version. But... Yeah, but I love, I love this version. Championship ring from last year, Hank, and it's a beauty. This is beautiful. Congratulations. Well, uh, Hank, 715 for you, and I hope that tonight in my home, that's right, Hotland is my home right now, I can make it number two, two years in a row. Good luck to you. Good luck. Sting got his home run record wrong. Sting, last year's Battle Ball champions, last thanks, of course, to Hank Aaron. All I want to say is let's hook him up. All right, fans. There we go. Joining me tonight to make the lethal lottery drawings, Missy Hyatt and the legend Larry Zabisco. Let's go to them at this time. Well, thanks, Tony. You know, we've got 35 athletes in this locker room chomping at the bit, and only 11 of them are going to get a chance to face their destiny. I can't verbally express the amount of adrenaline flowing in those back rooms, but tonight, you people are going to get to see it. Missy Hyatt, Missy Hyatt. Uh, I had the same thought. <laughs> it's like she's wearing some type of leather harness over a white long sleeve shirt. Yes, where the breasts are are the are open. Are harnessed. Yeah, and there's no other way to describe it. Yeah. So anyway, all right. So Dave said the irony of seeing Aaron standing next to Bill Watts is probably lost on almost everyone watching. Uh, just you wait. <laughs> <laughs> which okay at this point that also means that dave clearly feels at this point that bill is a racist uh yeah that would change interesting it, it is interesting isn't it yeah this statement compared to what dave says later huh yeah which i mean here's the thing we need to remember though too maybe it's just fresher in his memory at this point <laughs> The whole, well, Watts, you know, was going too far in expressing his libertarian views thing. You know, we talked about it on the shows we did about, you know, the ousting of Watts and all that. He doesn't just say he thinks you should be able to discriminate. He said the greatest thing that ever happened to the black race was them coming to America and not just getting educated, as he said, but also intermarrying. Yeah. At least he's not that kind of racist. At least he's in favor of uh, intermarriage, as he put it. But he also <laughs> thinks that that, that they were uh, elevated by the, I guess, more pure white genes or whatever the hell he was trying to say. 
I guess so, yeah. I mean, there's no other way to take that, I don't think. Yeah. All right, so the dark match Brad Armstrong pinned Shanghai Pierce in 7 30 with a rush of the next week. Told it wasn't good. All right, our first Battle Bowl match Van Hammer and Dan Spivey beat Cactus Jack and Johnny B. Band 651. They seen the couple working together, which hurt the match. Bad pulled off a hot move early with a Frankensteiner, which wasn't referred to by any name, into a DDT. Finish saw Bad hit the punch on his own partner, and Cat was a schoolboy by Hammer, half a star. So, yeah, we get the the, the first battle ball match with funky teams here. Yeah, and I th- think th- this one we're under the impression that I guess they, they picked which wrestlers... It was going to be, but wasn't the drawing on this one, was it a shoot or is that just a speculation thing or was that it was, or that Watts at least booked it to look more like a shoot than some of the other ones did? None of them were shoot shoes, no. Okay. So it's, it's Watts is just using, using logic to make it look more random-ish that compared to, I mean, they didn't go that far with 91, but especially the later ones, like 96 especially is just ridiculous where it's like. Oh, everyone's magically teaming with their enemies or or facing their friends. Yes. 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 Anyway, yeah. next, next match looks fun on paper, but not well received. Dustin Rhodes and Big Van Vader beat Kinsuke Sasaki and the Barbarian in 656. Barbarian was bad, and Dave Kentrick's call Sasaki doing much. Finish saw Barbarian accidentally clothesline Kinsuke and was schoolboy by Dustin for the pin. Finish looked familiar. Because let's read what happened in the finish in the first match. Finish saw Bad hit the punch on his partner and Jack was schoolboy by Hammer. There you say, everybody. After the match, Vader clotheslined Dustin and left him laying one star. So you do the same exact finish in the first two matches. Outstanding. Not just a schoolboy, but accidentally hitting the partner. Into yes. Next. Barry Winham and the Great Muda beat Brian Pillman and Tuchel Scorpio in six feet not what? only that, but the booker who's presumably help putting the finishes together with them is the father of one of the wrestlers in the matches. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, well, and again, the son's the one that did the job and got beat down. So there you go. But he's booked so overly strong, Chris. I know. I know. Barry Winham and the Great Moon to beat Brian Pillman to go Scorpio in 659. One of those matches that look really interesting on paper because all four talented wrestlers and Wyndham and Pillman are going to team up later in the car. Not a lot of heat, but the work was good. It'd be nice to give them more time, but Pillman and Wyndham had 20 minutes later in the show, so in that way, it's probably a good idea to not have them out there too long. So very nice high spots when Pillman was in with the two. Wyndham and Pillman tried to help each other went in together. Scorpio did a few moves that Dave's never seen before, including a new form of a leg drop and a somersault to the ring into a knee drop. Finish saw Wyndham hit Scorpio with a high drop DDT and Muda pinned him with a moonsault. Dave was really surprised to see them have Scorpio do a job this early in his WCW tenure, three and a quarter stars. Yeah, that was a bad idea. He shouldn't have been in this match. I get I get they wanted to put him in here with Muda, but he shouldn't have been in this match. No. Um... I mean, you could have put him in another match on the show. I mean, you could have swapped him out with... Uh, 
with fucking Van Hammer and Dan Spivey. Good, do we need both of them on the same team? I mean, <laughs> good Lord. You could have put uh, Van Hammer and Pillman together here. I don't know. Or but, uh, uh, switch them out with Eric Watts. Eric Watts ain't doing the job. <laughs> I guess. Okay, so there's no tumbleweed or drop the bomb. I mean, yet. he did – he, he, okay, I mean, Eric Watts is doing the job, but look, but we're about to get into who he did the job for, so that you know, that's a yes, different story. Yes, but uh, what I was going to say he, is he, he doing a job for Bill Watts' other son. Scorpio, I don't think is doing tumbleweed or drop the bomb yet. So the new leg drop is what, like the standing twisting leg drop? Probably, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe. I'm but not the sure thing what is, the knee drop you, spot was though. You look at the people in this match, and this, I mean, this okay. Scorpio wasn't hurt by it by any means. Yeah. Now, also, I do find it funny, though, that Muda is wrestling three times and Dave says nothing about how going longer here would affect him. Yeah, it's just Wyndham and Pillman. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I'm shocked that the wrestlers whose match he brought it up about happened to be the ones where we know one of them must, must have mentioned it to Dave. <laughs> yeah. All right, Sting at Dr. S.C. Williams defeated Justin Lang and Eric Watts in 908. The crowd largely dead up until this point reacted big to Sting opening against Liger. It was a total waste of Liger, who sold the entire match and almost got no offense in. It's mind-blogging that WCW could so completely devalue such a potential attraction. Liger could kick it out after mainly being destroyed by Doc, who sold nothing for him the entire match. Liger tagged then Watts. Watts looked bad. They did give him a spot where he got Doc and STF, but Doc made the ropes. Doc mercifully ended it by hot shining Watts for the pin, star on three quarter. And I think, even though it's not mentioned here, this is the match with that Eric Watts drop kick, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I almost feel like that's like the top dollar dive thing, where like it's not like Eric Watts is unathletic. Well, Top Dollar has done that dive before. He that just screwed up at the, at the wrong wrong time. Right. That's my point, though, that like it's not like Eric Watts is not physically capable of hitting a proper drop kick. But, yeah, bad time to do it. Yeah. And again, Eric Watts' job in the Dr. Death. That's no problem because it's Dr. Death. <laughs> so, and, you know... Doc, Doc and Liger. I mean, that's all training against New Japan. So of course, Doc is going to is going to do that to Liger. Well, also is a New Japan Junior Heavyweight against All Japan Heavyweight. Yes, exactly. I mean, event All Japan Heavyweight. Yeah. So yeah, he ain't selling for that fucker. This match does make me wish we would have got that Sting Liger singles match. That'd been awesome. Masahiro Chono retained the NWA World Heavyweight title, making great mood to submit to the STF in 1429. It's not as if they did anything wrong technically, but they did everything wrong and that most of the match consisted of maneuvers that mean nothing in the United States. Chono spent most of the match working on Muda's knee on the mat, which is actually what they needed to avoid to get the match over. They can figure out why they did the kind of match they, that they did, because you don't have to understand that much about wrestling to know exactly the style of match they need to avoid to get over in the United States. And Muda knows. He was the top star here. And Chono has worked in this country. Did someone tell them to work like this? And if nobody did, then the next time someone should tell them not to. Muda Mr. Moon saw Chono coming to STF, which is now an over move to win one star. Okay, here's the thing. Over because Eric Watts is doing the STF. And they're hyping it up a lot. I mean, they're hyping it up as both guys move, though, in all fairness. 
Yeah, but still, Sarah Watts is using it more in the U.S., so the fans have seen him do it, so they know the move. Yes. Yes. And has it ever actually been confirmed if Watts told them to work this way? Somebody had to. Well, because the other thing is, it's not just this, where they have a significantly better match a week later at the Dome. Which ends up airing on WCW TV anyway. Well, it's at, well. What's the difference here, Bix? I mean, it's at New Japan Tokyo Dome. This they're in their home environment. They they know how to work that match to that crowd. Well, where I'm going with this though is not only that, but Chono also had the bad match with Rude at Havoc after they had one of the best matches of the year in the G1. Again, but I mean, just, like it, Rude is not a New Japan guy. No, but. It's it's that big, but that goes to say that this WCW guys is putting the match together. They need they had to they should figure out. Listen, this is where we're at. We need to tailor the match around our surroundings. You think like Mike Graham is getting sent to like agented for them? <laughs> I mean, I don't know who, who I don't know if he's the one doing it or if it's, if it's Magnum or, or whoever. I mean, I would think if this is one of those guys, they would tell him to work more of an American style. I would have thought. I don't know. It's but weird. It's not like the dome match is worked that far off from what would work as an American style match, though. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, Chono uh, retain a title here. Yes. And not before, for we, before we get to the next match, though, we should get to the promo, which is not mentioned here. Okay. <laughs> That's all you're saying. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Rude. Oh, sorry. Yeah, because Dave doesn't mention the notes. Yeah, so yeah, Rick Rude uh, let everybody know what's going on with him, which we talked about kind of sort in the notes earlier. But of course, it's not mentioned here. So let's go to uh, Jason Ventura wearing a Malcolm X hat. Yeah, I was about to mention <laughs> that myself that, uh, on a Bill Watts show. Yeah. And uh, let's go to uh, Jesse and Jim Ross and Rick Rude. Uh, in fact, this is the last WCF baby called by Jim Ross. Another thing, too, about this show. Yeah. So, all right, let's go to Rick Rude making his appearance here. Yeah. Fans, as we mentioned earlier, we we do know that that uh, Ravishing Rick Rude has a neck injury, will not be able to compete tonight. But this Saturday on WCW Saturday night, a tournament will start to determine the number one contender for Rude's title. Now, the, the winner of the eight-man single elimination tournament that starts this Saturday on TBS will meet Rude on Saturday, January 23rd on WCW Saturday night for the U.S. title. Now, we also understand, we've been informed, that if Rude is unable to compete on January 23rd, he's going to be stripped of the championship. So that is a real, that's a lot of hard news for Rick Rude here tonight. I'll tell you what, I think that's unfair. I mean, hasn't Rude suffered a, hey, we got Rude coming down the ringside right now. Hasn't Rude suffered enough? Clean shaven, Rude. Yeah, is this his first appearance without the mustache? Or no, no. How long has he had it? It was, it was in December. Okay. I mean, the man trained his entire life for this particular night, and now all of a sudden he's denied it. Stabbed in the back by a neurosurgeon on the biggest day of my life. With one stroke of a pen, a stinking doctor foils my chance at becoming world heavyweight champion. 
Now the WCW wants to twist the knife. They want to add insult to injury. The WCW is threatening to strip me of my United States title. It ain't right with a medical reason. If I can't defend, they intend to strip me not only of my title, but of my number one contender position. It's funny, things didn't go down that way when Big Van Vader broke the ribs of a world champion named Sting. It's plain and it's simple. The WCW is conspiring against Ravishing Rick Rude. But what I want you people to know right now, it ain't gonna work. It ain't ever gonna work. You ain't taking my title. All right, well, Ravishing Rick Rude obviously very, very upset. To me, it's politics, Ross, at its worst level, what's happening to Rude. You should know all about that. You're a mayor. That's right. So, uh, yeah, you're right. Sometimes politics do stink. But the guy, if he's unable to defend his title on January 23rd, then uh, he's going to be stripped of the title. Yeah, but this is the 28th. Why wouldn't they give him till the 28th? That's 30 days. I don't know. I'm not on the board of directors. You can go ask if you choose, but in any event... Somebody can't count right. That's the problem. The WCW World's Heavyweight Championship matchup will be next. And again, that tournament to determine the number one contender for the U.S. title will start this Saturday on WCW Saturday Night on TBS. But right now, let's go back up to Gary Capetta. Well, ladies... Well, that's not how the 30-day rule works, though. <laughs> the 30-day yeah. rule is 30 days between title defenses. Mm-hmm. So it, it, they're actually giving him extra time because his last title defense was on... Let me see. Is this the air date or the tape date? Uh, okay, no, they're still not giving him 30 days because if they're going by the air date... His last title defense was the match that aired against Eric Watts over the weekend. Yeah. So they're <laughs> Oops. <laughs> WCW, everybody. It's a good thing that we don't well, probably oh, have no, that 30-day rule anymore. Yeah. Oh, I just know. Okay, so I, I just checked. The 23rd would be four weeks. So the 25th would have been 30 days. Yeah, it's a good thing because uh, can you imagine AEW with a thirty day rule? Well, that's they book the title differently. Yeah, I mean WWE too. Roman Reigns has had what ten total matches in twenty twenty two. Mm-hmm. MJF's going to probably try to break that record. <laughs> you saw where he was on Twitter bragging about he only worked seven matches this year. Bump card, brother. <laughs> All right, Ron Simmons retained the WCW Heavyweight title, beating Dr. Death Steve Williams by DQ in 15-12. They tried, and it was all solid work, but it never got out of the blocks either. Simmons was to tackle, and two brawled outside the ring for a double countout. They kept brawling after the match. Simmons shoved Doc into the ring post, but Doc got back in and attacked Simmons again. They came on the top rope on him. He was DQ'd in a reverse decision, which hardly mattered because it was just pilled. It just piled on a second screw job, ending into a first. The WCW title came off as so impo- unimportant, it was pathetic, with them acting like the King of Cable Trophy and the Battle Bowl ring were more important than the world title. To make matters worse, Simmons was booed a lot when he raised his hand in victory. Dave thinks everyone's finally come to the conclusion this experiment was a failure. Star in the quarter. You know what they should have just said? 
that, although Doc had more than one match. Actually, no, wait a second, I just realized. No, that's, that's probably what it, they should have just outright said. The world title match is at this point in the card because they need to space everything out r- differently because there are so many wrestlers working multiple matches. Including well, Doc. Doc, he's he's going to be wrestling again. Yeah. <laughs> but just say it. You know? It's a perfectly reasonable explanation. It is, but Dave's right. In every way, and then we're about to get to Simmons' uh, Waterloo coming up in two days after this show. So, Yep, in uh, Balmer. Yep. Next, we get this, the match to save the show. Ricky Dragon, Steamboat, and Shane Douglas retaining the unified WCW and NWA tag titles being Brian Pillman and Barry Windham in 2002. Good from bell to bell. Crowd was still in the doldrums from the previous matches until Shane dropkicked Pillman off the apron and Pillman caught his throat on the guardrail. However, right after Pillman dropkicked Douglas, who was on the top row, took a bump to the floor and Wyndham hit a vicious clothesline. Originally, because of the height difference, Pillman and Wyndham looked like a mismatched team, but they were excellent here. Pillman's come a long way in the short time as a heel. Wyndham may have been the best performer on the entire show in his new heel role. Douglas stood the heat for a long time with me and your faults on him. It wasn't until the 16-minute mark when Steamboat tagged in. Wyndham cut him off quickly with a power slam. Steamboat then took the heat for several minutes. Finally, Steamboat and Wyndham both tagged out. Went to a four-way, and Douglas pinned Pillman with a belly-to-belly. Four and a quarter stars. Yeah, people forget that Wyndham and Pillman was the original team, not Austin and Pillman. Yep. Austin Austin was like their associate. Yes. And then once Wyndham wins the NWA title, then it's Austin and Pillman together. Well, no. No, it was already Austin Pillman before that. What? Well, I mean, still, still kind of working as a threesome, though. Were they? I mean, it's Austin Pillman at the Clash, and then at Super Bowl, which is when Wyndham wins the title, they're already the Hollywood. But Bowl. that's when he starts focusing on the going the singles NWA title route. Though. Hmm. So, but they were still kind of like linked going in. Okay, I get in a saying. way. Yeah. But I mean, Austin Pillman don't become the Hollywood Blondes till after. That's like March. No. If you forget how short that is. No, they have the matching gear at Super Bowl. They're not Hollywood Blondes yet. I, sw- I swear they're not. Are you sure? Because they, they may have matching gear, but they're not the Hollywood Blondes yet. Okay. I could, I'm pretty positive on that. All right, let me see. Their debut as the Hollywood Blondes was on March the 23rd, Saturday night taping air, March the 27th. Okay. So, yeah, they won. They won the belts the week before from Pilm, from uh, Douglas and Steamboat, and that's when they became officially the Hollywood Blondes. Okay. So yeah, it was uh, it was later than actually I thought. I thought it was earlier in March. So yeah, the end of March. So they had uh basically what five five six months. <laughs> that's it. Pretty much. But, uh, yeah, this match is a hell of a fucking match if you've never seen it before, so go watch this match. Uh, Steamboat and Douglas, man, I mean, they, they were really, really damn good as a tag team. Yes. And people forget, and people forget about that because they forget about Shane Douglas pre-ECW in a lot of ways. I mean, his, his, he, he had two careers. He had pre-ECW and, post, and, and ECW and afterwards. And people forget about that pre-ECW career, especially this run right here. All right, so um, Steam pinned Big Van Vader to win the King of Cable Tournament in 1650. You couldn't ask for a better match than this. 
This only had hot moves, but had a focused storyline to the match. It was obviously well planned out. Vader looked like he gained even more weight, yet never looked like he was blown up, and then worked a hot pace. Sting opened strong, using moves like an insecurity, German suplex, and even a plancha dive out to ring with the Vader and Harley Race, and later DTS metal ropes. Sting got Vader in the Scorpion, but Vader got to the ropes. The tables turned when Sting went for a Stinger splash outside the ring. Vader moved, and the Sting and Vader moved. Sting hit the guardrail. By this point, Vader was bleeding from the mouth. Vader big splash. Sting kicked out. They went back and forth with big moves and near falls with the storyline from the beginning. That Sting needed to take Vader into a law match and wear him out to beat him. Vader destroyed Sting. He used an Ollie rope of dope, and eventually Vader punched himself out. Sting made the comeback and used a bad suplex and splash off the top, but Vader kicked out. Race was straight to Sting, so Vader closed line from behind, used choke slam and splash, but Vader rolled off Sting accidentally before he could pin him. Vader came off the top again, but Sting caught him with a power slam and got three count, four and a half stars. All right, let's watch this finish here and see how great this is. And it goes right back to the Stinger. Has him in the corner. Again, those forearms, they're right above us. Never seen any impact like that in my career. Look at Sting says, come on. He's taking every shot that Vader can dish out. Look at him. I think he's crazy. Why would you invite this guy in? He is, as he said, he wanted to survive it and take him as far as he could go. Maybe Vader will punch out. You... It happened with Ali and Foreman. I'll tell you, Vader's punches are getting weaker. Maybe he's fatiguing a little. Sting is taking himself to another level. He has had to to survive here. Oh, he caught Vader. He caught Vader. Vader sucking he the He caught him in. again. A third one. Vader is gasping for air now himself. Is sucking in the air now. Oh, look, Sting got him. Fall away slam. But Vader's leg is over the rope. Vader's in the ropes. Great power move by the Stinger, but he did it too close to the ropes. A little surprising to see him do that without Sting now up on top. Here it comes. Count out there and race up on the apron. Steve, don't turn your back on Vader. And he did, and he paid for it. Well, Race did his job there. Well, Sting shouldn't have fell for it. You should forget about Race. You're right about that, but he didn't. And he paid the price. And now it's Vader back on the attack. Takes him down right by the throat. And Vader says it's over. He's going up. He missed that splash earlier. He may not miss it now. Oh, come on. Vader caught him. He wanted to hook it. And Vader's the impact of Vader hitting Sting. He bounced right off of it. <laughs> but he drilled the Stinger right into the canvas. Two times in this match, Vader has failed to properly execute his big splash. 
and he is frustrated. So well, he's going up for a third time. I guess so, because, yeah, it's setting up the film. Raider will go up one more time. 450 pounds up there. And he's landed. He's landed. He got it. Atkins, a little fast count there. What a, what a wrestling match! What a wrestling match, ladies and gentlemen! His strategy worked! He held on! He took everything that Big Fan Raider could dish out! There you see a high-risk move as Sting came right off the top. A big splash! But that, even that move, could not put Raider away! But look at this! 450! And he planted it. The Stinger is the king of cable. Yeah, he had Peter's shoulders all the way up. What a, his fault what a contest. Sting and Vader hammering each other. Let's go up for the presentation of the trophy with Jesse the Body Ventura. Okay, before we get to that, and oh, Sting gets a ring and a trophy on this show. Um, How about that? I get that you got to put everything back into place with Simmons losing the title and stuff. But the way this match has worked and the way that Sting worked against Vader, this is the Sting who should have been the face of the company. Yes. Has Sting ever looked like more of a badass than he did in his matches with Vader? No. And I'm going to say this right now. I think that the Sting-Vader trilogy of pay-per-view matches is the best of that of best like gr- series of matches between two singles guys on pay-per-view in the 1990s. Yeah. Pretty much. I can't think of any I can't think of anybody be- any better. Anybody that had more than one match, a series of matches. That's the best. It ain't Austin Undertaker. <laughs> Hell no. I'm just trying to think who else had at least 3 matches. I just say more than one. one. I'd say okay. more than one, two. Hmm. That were all on pay-per-view. Hmm. There is none in the 90s. Yeah, not that I can think of. No. And this is probably, and this is the best one. Yeah. I can, I, if someone wanted to say Super Bowl was the best match, I wouldn't argue. I get you. Well, Super Bowl, they're all different. Yes. That's the thing about them, too. They're all different. Yeah. And they're not trilogies, but the only ones I can think of that come close are Brad Owen and Sean Razor. But it, Sean and Razor is kind of kind of different because they're both gimmick matches, and they've so far apart from each other too. Yeah. Whereas this is all over the course of uh, what eight months? Uh, June to February. Yeah, so pretty much. Yeah, eight months. Yeah, eight months. So, but yeah, I mean, Sting, Sting is fantastic here. And, um, yeah, this it's funny because uh, if this thing would have been like this in 1990, who knows? Yeah. And but also, Ole, Anderson, Ole Anderson was booking, too. So that's a whole yeah. other story. And also, like. I'd love to know what it was and who's calling what that we didn't see this sting more often. 
you know? Like, Sting is clearly elevating his game to work with Vader. Yes. You know, it's like, um, it's like The Rock against Benoit in, like, 2000, where they're, The Rock is having consistently quality matches, but he seems particularly excited to work with Benoit and do new things with Benoit. You know what I mean? I think Sting, I think a lot of the Sting stuff was Sting, Sting was willing to work around his opponent. Who his opponent was dictated the kind of matches he had. Because look at his match with Amuda. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that's a, a lot of that, a lot of that too. That is who his who he's working against. Rude is Rude's one of those guys. Is Rude's like Flair? You know, where you have the signature spots, you have to work around. You know, and stuff like that. You know. Although they had a hell of a match together in the King of Cable semifinals the month before. Well, I'm not saying they're bad matches. I'm saying that it's just different. Mm-hmm. You know, you're working that you're working that traditional style heel. You know, but you look at Sting against Muda, Sting against Vader, Sting against uh, um, Cactus. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, he always worked more I mean, style a match. Austin, he worked more Austin style. Yeah. So it's just it's just who Sting's working with, yes. That dict, dict, dictated how he worked in a lot of ways. All right, let's go to the uh, trophy presentation. I'll tell you what, Stinger, I was a doubter. I didn't think it could be done. I didn't think you could win the King of Cable against that monster Big Van Vader. But I stand corrected. That was one hell of a match and one hell of a victory. Congratulations. Well, the wins, Jesse, but it was also one hell of a butt kicking that I took. I'll have you know. Well, you earned that trophy. Thank you very much. I just have one thing to say. One left. One thing left tonight. And that's Battle Bowl to make it a complete night two years in a row. Unbelievable. If he can come back and win that trophy and win Battle Bowl, that'll be a feat beyond belief. Let's go to my colleagues now, Tony Schiavone and Larry the Cruncher Zabisco. Tremendous action for the King of Cable and of course for the Unified Tag Team Championship. Pause. And as we approach Battle Bowl. I think nothing too would sting in this in this look right here is the darker shade of hair. Also gives him kind of more of an edge, I think. And I love the blonde blonde hair, but I'll also love when he went that little darker blonde, I think it gave him a little more of an edge too. He's like he had that when he was when he was defeating with Muda in '89. He's still this version of Sting or Surfer Sting or whatever you want to call him, but he's still yeah. blonde too. Yeah, it's not it's not like when he starts growing his hair out. No, it's still it's it's still blonde, but it's dark blonde, darker blonde. Yes, not yellow. Not, I mean, yellow, but more of a white. Yeah. Whitish blonde. Alright, so, um, before the Battle Bowl Battle Royal, we have a uh, special interview with a legendary football player, Paul Horning, former uh, Heisman Trophy winner Notre Dame, uh, multiple-time champion NFL with the Green Bay Packers, worked for TBS for many years in the 1980s on their football coverage. And, uh, Tony Spice is down Paul Horning to talk about the significance of winning a ring. And they try to equate a battle bowl ring to a Super Bowl ring. 
I got to see how this how this plays out. Let's go to the clip. I'm very happy to be sitting beside a Paul Horning. And, Paul, thank you very much for spending some time with us. We want to talk about Battle Bowl, Starcade, coming up on Monday, December 28th. The big event is in World Championship Wrestling. You spent many great years with the Packers on championship teams. You have your Super Bowl ring. Yeah, right here. And all the great athletes always say, yeah, we play for the money, and the money is a big part of it. But that ring is something that you take with you the rest of your life. I really think it is. As far as professional football is concerned, you always hear that uh, even in today's game, as much money as the kids are making today, they want to be a part of a Super Bowl championship team. Uh, and it is very, very special. We were fortunate having won five championships in seven years there under Coach Lombardi. And he, I think, started making the ring bigger and bigger each year because right. he, wanted, he wanted our guys to really aspire to win the thing back. So they had to have some nugget at the end of the year that would really want us to, you know, maybe to get up, to, to get that little 110% effort. And I think you guys have got the same opportunity. I think if you make the prize, the battle bull ring, so to speak, and one guy's going to win it every year, I'll guarantee you, whoever is in that playoff will want to win that ring because it signifies that you're the best. You're the best at what you do. As far as pro football is concerned, you're best as a team. That's as good as you can get. And uh, as far as you all are concerned, I, I would think that that ring would signify who's the number one man in the business. Exactly. Okay, Paul, thank you. Bye. This is what Dave said. Um, they tried to equate winning battles with the Super Bowl, which are stretch even for wrestling. It also downgraded the world title as if having two of them on the same show and putting them both in the middle of the card so they came off as prelim matches doesn't downgrade it enough. But I didn't like the battle ball was more important than the title belt. I mean, I get what Dave is saying. I do. But it, I mean, it is kind of ridiculous to try to <laughs> try to make a, a comparison to a, a battle ball ring with a Super Bowl ring. And yeah, it's just, it's just, it's, there's no comparison. Yes, although I think the point Horning's trying to make that they're trying to get across is um, a championship ring is more permanent than, say, a title belt. You always have a championship ring with you. Yeah. I think that was the idea. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it, 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 it's, 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 it's different, yeah. It's got AEW has with their ring, you know. The Dynamite Diamond. Even though the guy that owns the title belt now owns the ring. So, I mean, he's got it both. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, um, interesting thing about Paul Horning, um, he's got the Super Bowl ring, but he, he didn't even play in the Super Bowl that year. <laughs> he was injured. Okay. And, yeah. And, he, I mean, he was that, – that was his last season with Green Bay and really his last season as a pro because – he went to the New Orleans Saints in the expansion draft. They left him unprotected, and he goes with them and never really plays for them. So, but yeah, so there is that. But, uh, hey, anytime we got Paul Horning going on, on on TV, that's always good. Paul Horning's a legend <laughs> on and off the field. <laughs> yeah, um, Rick Flair is a football player at Bix, outside the ring. That's Paul Horning. Okay. He would keep, I mean, basically, I mean, he'd party all night long and then, when it, you know, at bars and clubs and with ladies and stuff like that. And then when it came time to play ball, he's there and played at a high level. His name was the Golden Boy. That's his nickname. 
<laughs> so, there you go. All right, main event. The Great Muta won the Battle Bowl Battle Royal at 1401. Totally anticlimactic after two previous bouts, and also nothing memorable occurred. Van Hammer was thrown out by Doc in 555. Sting backdrops Spivey out in 630. Sting clothesline Vader, and both of them went over in 754. Doc and Dustin both went out together in 1130, leaving Wyndham with Muta. Wyndham destroyed Muta for a few minutes, threw him over, but Muta skinned the cat, came back with a few quick cut moves, and finally drop kicked Wyndham over, star and a half. So you want to play the end of this, or what's your thinking here? Might as well. These men have competed not only in lethal lottery matches, but in championship matches. Prior to this, the fatigue factor has got to be a major, major issue. A superplex right off the top. If pinfalls could win it, Wyndham would win it right now. Lots talking to me way too much. Standing drop kick from a man six feet six, 280 pounds. That's a phenomenal athletic maneuver. And here he goes. Over the Coming top. Right at us here. But Muda hung on. Muda hung on. He's still in it. Down goes Wendell. Another drop kick. with a very, uh, I would say, a surprising victory because he had such a grueling match with Chono Jess. What about his ring? Title match. But they all did. Next That's year, what bro. made it pretty fair out there. Each guy had already wrestled. They were wore out. It came down to endurance. And again, I'll state it. Did I he ever get a ring? Ups. No, I think someone else accepts it on his behalf, but they acknowledge it at the beginning of the show. Outstanding. At the beginning. Well, at the, that's the standalone battle bowl, but... I like the surprise finish. Kind well, of. yeah, I mean, and it kind of sets up for them to wrestle in February. All right, uh, notes. There were a number of fights in the stands. Not surprised by that. Crowd boot heavily when it was announced Rip Rude was going to wrestle because of an injury. They also announced in the building that the reason Dr. Destiny Wills was replaced was because he was the double contender. Which drew a lot of booze as well, as the fans are smart enough to realize Doc almost never works WCW, so how could he be the top contender? Doc wound up being some of the crowd favorite because most of the crowd booed Eric Watts and much of the crowd booed Ron Simmons. Yeah, when you lo- when you lose Ron Simmons in Atlanta, you know, after what they did, you know, in August in Atlanta and really trying to make him into 
you know, a big deal for Atlanta. And then, yeah. Yep. Not good. Pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. Well, Jim Ross and Jason Ventura did a great job during the Steve Vader match of getting the story across to the viewers. It's becoming more obvious with each big show that the two don't complement one another. Ross is into seriously calling the matches, and at least on these big shows, like a sports event, one to talk strategy, etc. Ventura's actual color isn't particularly incisive in that regard. His strength has come with excellent one-liners, but Ross's serious commentary doesn't lend himself for being the setup man for the one-liners. Jesse didn't used to be like that, you know? When Jesse was with uh, Gorilla on WF pay-per-views, he wasn't looking for the jokes, you know? And some of his commentary with with JR was like that, was more strategic and actual color. I think Jesse got so, I think Jesse got this so comfortable doing working with Tony and them yucking it up on, on Worldwide that that's what he started getting into here. That would make sense. You know? Because, yeah, Jesse was never that type of guy in WF. That was Heenan. Heenan did that. The ramp was brought back at fireworks were used for the finish when Muda won the battle ball. Yep. Always love the ramp. Sting was over as far as crowd ration, far more than any of the babyface. Couldn't you tell watching? Good God. It's like he should have been the champion. <laughs> you know? I get why they put it on Ron Simmons. I get why they put it on Ron Simmons. But what if you put it back on? What if you put it on Sting? You shoot that Jake angle. Sting and Jake has a title behind it as well. You know, that's the main program. Titles in the main program on on pay Halloween Havoc. Then you come into this situation where you don't actually have to have a title match on this show. Sting and Vader's fighting for King of Cable. Not the not the WCW title. It's not needed on this show. Yeah. Think about it. So, uh, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, it is crowded to have the ring, the trophy, and two world titles all on one show. Yes. It's like watching AEW and Ring of Honor's titles being not defended on like the same show. You know, too much. Torch, best fan sign Star K was a target painted on poster board with Hey Muda, spray here, written above. And Jesse Ventura is saying it's depressing as a heel when you do the move and the other guy pops up first. Yes, he actually said that during one of the matches on the show. <laughs> I can't remember which match, but I remember him saying that. Okay. Verbatim. <laughs> All right, this is Dave. The Japanese wrestlers aren't going to mean anything on major shows unless they are put into programs that time is given developing, and time is also given towards developing their personalities. The message was made clear here. That should have been learned at the NWA Tag Tournament when you had Hiroshi Hase, who's one of the best workers in the business, and the crowd didn't know him and didn't, just didn't react to him. People aren't going to react to moves that haven't been first been put on te- over on television, and if the guys haven't been on television, that guarantees their moves won't be over. This is not to say Japanese should be used because Liger should be a great attraction. Although maybe too late now. And the others could be soft performers, but not if brought in cold. It's funny because we're talking about, I mean, we're talking about Great Muda here. Who in 1989, say what you will about George Scott. But, and maybe Uncle Gary had a lot to do with this too. But the way they introduced Muda and got him over was unlike any Japanese wrestler in maybe ever. I mean, Kabuki, Kabuki was different in world class because... 
Kabuki's supposed just to be a, scarier than Muda was supposed to be. It's just a different beast, yeah. Muda got over as a babyface. You know? Yeah. He was a Japanese heel that got over as a babyface. Mm-hmm. That had never happened. You know? And it's just a different time and place with wrestling fans. Now it is much more easier for a Japanese performer to come over here and be beloved. It's way more easier because the, the landscape has changed. Takeshita, but back Nakamura, in 1990, uh, yeah, yeah, but 1992, I mean, most of your wrestling fans are not watching Japanese wrestling. It's a very, 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 very small subset of fans that are watching American fans that are watching Japanese wrestling. So. What, when there's a Japanese wrestler on television, more than not, they're thinking, oh, this guy's a bad guy because that's the way the stereotypical thing went. You didn't have a lot of Japanese baby faces. It just wasn't there. Right. Whereas now you have literally tens of thousands of your fans watching Japanese wrestling. Exactly. So at this time period, they needed to emphasize uh, the, you know, these guys a little bit better. And I think they tried, but I don't just think the fans really gave a shit. You know, you really had to be special to get over with American fans. Liger had that. Muda had that. This version of Masahiro Chono was just not going to do it. It just wasn't going to happen. No. Kensuke, I think, could have clicked better. It was because of his style. Yeah. You know, his style, if they would have used him correctly, yeah. But they did. They put him where I want. The essence we have indicates star K buy rate to be just under a point six, which would be about hundred twenty thousand buys. With a list price being twenty four ninety five, that means WCW gross pay per view money should have been in the one point two five million range. Actual revenue from the show increased over last year's battle bowl, while the number of buys and buy rate decreased because of the price increase. Since the object is to make as much money as possible, or in the case of WCW lose the least amount of money possible. It basically means increasing the price of 1999-2495 was a successful move financially. It'll probably mean that all WCF review shows will have a, the higher price tag. And they did. And fans still bought it. Well, uh, uh, also, the reason it was nine, 1999-2495 to year over year was that they did the deal the year before where they increased the price and the cable company and Turner and everything matched it to donate to the Starlight Foundation. Yes. All right. Well, two days at Starcade, a major event happened. That would change WCW. So let's go to the January 2nd, 1993 episode of WCW Saturday Night, and let's see how they address this thing on uh, the first TV show after it happened. This is a WCW special report. Big Van Vader has won the WCW World Heavyweight title for the second time on Wednesday. They're using a picture of Ron Simmons when he was in Doom. <laughs> yes. Number 30th in the Baltimore Arena, Vader defeated Ron Simmons in approximately 12 Senator minutes to Vader regain wrestling's most prestigious championship. The contest was an intense battle between two of the sport's most physical athletes. Vader's approximate 200-pound weight advantage and his unequal power was more than Simmons could overcome. The 450-pounder focused on Simmons' upper body and finally wore down the former Florida State University football All-American. Vader avenged a world title loss to Simmons in the same Baltimore arena back on August 2nd, 1992. 
Vader's manager, Holly Race, has indicated the new world champion is prepared to face all top challengers worldwide and is especially anxious to meet Sting at a world title defense. Again, on Wednesday, December 30th, Big Ben Vader defeated Ron Simmons to win the WCW World's Heavyweight title for the second time. This has been a WCW Special Report. Tell me the show was in the can before December 30th without telling me that the show was in the can before December 30th. <laughs> yeah, just an odd way of uh, making that announcement. But let's get into this before we talk about that, how that's set up. Big Ben Vader won WCW version of the World Heavyweight title on December 30th in Baltimore from Ron Simmons using a clothesline and shoulder breaker to lead to the pin in 12 minutes. Simmons had the offense much of the match, but Vader kept kicking out of the pins. Now, you would thought that, okay, so the story for this is that, you know, Vader lost title in Baltimore. He wins title back in Baltimore. That's the story. It wasn't supposed to happen that way. Vader and Simmons weren't even scheduled as the opponents for the Baltimore show, show as they believed they were booking a tag team match. The title change was supposed to take place the day before in Philadelphia. However, Simmons missed the show. Cowboy Bill Watts and the TV camera crew flew to Philadelphia to film the title change that never took place. And you could just imagine the heat that caused. However, Simmons did show up next night and drop the strap in his final schedule match before leaving for the Tokyo show. How about that? <laughs> so they had the TV camera crew. They had Bill Watts. No Ron Simmons. It's actually, wait a second. So the intro would have had to have been done on at least the 29th because they had to know they were doing it in Baltimore. And the show, the show broadcast on the second, so they could have done that intro New Year's Eve, you know. But I guess they not could enough have done time to get the tape in and on whatever timeline yeah. the show done by. Amazing. And why did at press time? Seven, <laughs> let's just continue. And, I mean, it's just not really sad. At press time, Simmons asked WCW was somewhat considered questionable. He, as a press time, has yet to return to WCW rings and was originally pulled from the January 13th Clashman event and was going to be replaced by Terry Funk, who was also going to return as a babyface. Imagine if that would have happened. The announcement of that car change with the claim Simmons is out of action due to a shoulder injury was scheduled for the WCW main event show that airs on January 10th. As a press time, it is believed Funk, who was going to return as a regular top babyface on a nightly main event guarantee contract, $750 guarantee plus 250 potential bonus per night has reconsidered and won't be returning after all with that possibility in mind, it goes into the, well, it goes into stuff that happens outside of our week. So let me take that out of here. Blah, 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 blah. It's weird based about the cat turn. All right. Simmons contract expires sometime in February and his status as far as the long haul is concerned can probably best be labeled as questionable. Main event will also have uh, Paul Wonder replace Rip Root, as has been the case of the house shows during the week. On the heel side of the eight-man tag and a two-ring Thunder Cage team with Barry Windham and Barbarian and Vader. As of right now, Rick Root's target date for return is March the 1st, which means there's a decent chance he'll miss the next review as well. And being a center stage table on the 11th, he'd be stripped of the title. And at Dustin Rose was reached Steamboat, which we take that night, we get the title. Tournament final. The face side of the, side of the cage includes Sting and Dustin Rose. The other two names are not certain. Simmons was going to be replaced by Funk, while the other man, Van Hammer, yeah, Van Hammer, can't wrestle because of an injury. Although he scheduled an arm wrestle on the show, there was talk of having Dave Boy Smith as a replacement, but supposedly that's been held up because Titan claims it still owns rights to Davey. 
Along with the debut of Chris Benoit, who'll be a heel scheduled for that card. Although Judge from the Booking announced that Stafford he'll be given a chance to make use of his talents. And he wasn't. Made things even more confusing when it comes to talent. Arn Anderson's interview on Saturday night got so got over so well the company apparently feels that they're gonna to have to turn a babyface. Which Dave guesses means Eric Wallace be turned heels so they haven't run an angle from Charlotte on television yet. We'll have more on that in a minute. And um the Torch talks about the Thunderdome match. And uh, they repeat the stuff that David said, but also had this little uh, note at the end. According to WCW Hotline, the, the Mission Man will be talked about in this Sunday's main event. Certainly, WCW's intention could be to increase speculation that Ric Flair's coming in by creating the mystery partner. Inside sources believe it's almost inevitable that Ric Flair will beat the party in WF and wrestling in WCW, possibly soon as next Wednesday's Clash the Champions. Possibly as late as next September. The last two weeks, there have been a variety of mixed reports, sometimes changed from day to day, concerning Flair's future. According to our sources, Flair's interest in WCW is being blocked, not by WF, but in a sense by Bill Watts, who's insisting on not giving Ric Flair a special contract. The current contract's offered not guaranteed enough for review every three months. Flair would also like autonomy over his own role, according to our sources, but Watts is unwilling to give up that power. Flair is certainly worth a comp- compromise or two. The popularity Watts would have with many fans if he brought the nature back would be incredible. All right, we'll touch on Flair in a second. Ron Simmons. So we don't know why he no-showed Philly and then showed the Baltimore. Because he goes to New Japan where it's Dome Show. This sure explains, though, why he becomes such a non-entity after losing the title, though. Mm-hmm. Yep. They're pissed. Dusty's pissed. And the fact that we don't get any explanation here, huh? But as we talked about, I mean, it was it had become time. Yes. Now, the question is, I mean, was Vader the right guy to go with to give him just give him the title back of the available heels? Obviously, of the available heels, he was. He is. I mean, the only the only other option would be Wyndham. He would be the only other option, but it, it seemed like they had that plan for the NWA title down the line. But, I mean, I probably would have gone with Wyndham. Not to say Vader was, you know, didn't, you know, deserve to be champion, but I would probably would have gone with Wyndham and see what he could do. I can see Why not? Argument. Yeah. Why not? And you could do a Sting Wyndham feud, you know, which has never, never really happened like that. Not really. You know? Yeah. They had matches, but they'd never had a program. That would have been fun. Yep. But it seems like they have plans going on here and things are falling apart. Yes. You know, Terry Funk. You know, I, makes you wonder who, you know, what, what changed that. You think Terry Funk saw, maybe saw the writing on the wall with Bill Watts? And... As far as what? That he didn't want to work for whoever else would come in? Or that he'd want to try to get the job? or I don't know. Maybe his horse was sick. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure he had some excuse, but it just makes you wonder if he knew anything about what Bill Watts' future was going to be. Because Terry Falls pretty clued into the newsletters, you know, and knows, knows everybody. So it makes you wonder if Madden or somebody had got a hold of him said, Terry... You might want to hang loose. Well, actually, no, we're forgetting something. To, is Janie Angle in the office yet? Oh, I don't know that timeline. So, maybe. 
I don't know. Go to Starcade and look at the credits. <laughs> so, go, I mean, I'm serious. Go go to go back to Starcade and find the credits and see what the credits say. Who's doing what? Okay, let's see. Yeah, we didn't do our usual little uh, credits deal at the WCW Fave Review. Um, the, the, the WCW. Thank you. And I'm just going to go in the search now. Starcade 1992. There we go. Let's see. Tonight, it's the 10th annual start. Ahead. Oh, yeah, anything can happen at back. Okay. I guess go back a little bit now. Uh, yeah. Be careful. I know, I'm trying to figure out if I should Go use back one screen. time. Go back well, one more no, time. I was going to use the scrub bar instead of the thing. All right. All right, you get okay. towards the end. Yeah, All right, yeah. right, go back. Yeah. All right, here Tell we the... go. All right, I mean, we don't need a sound. All right, so we got Bill Shaw, Bob Hughes, the bosses, Bill Watts, Jim Ross, and Virgil Reynolds, supervised producers. All right. The usual cast suspects, Dan Bynum. Neil Pruitt. And there's Neil Pruitt. Yes. Jim Reeves, video, of course. Jackie Crockett. Mm-hmm. Wes Bennett. Yes. Yep. Sharon Sadello. Sharon Sadello. Yep. Mike, Mike Weber. Renee Vance, I don't recognize from that department, though. Jeff Bornstein is a name we see a lot for the lighting. Yeah. Beyond Belief Productions, Inc., of course, for Pyro. Yes. Doug Dillinger. Doug Dillinger. Yeah. And that, yeah, their makeup. <laughs> Assistant, Assistant Mr. Mr. Janie Angle. Ding, 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 Jody ding, Hamilton, ding. Jody Hamilton, Grizzly Smith, Mike Graham, and Janie Angle. Assist us to Mr. Ronalds. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Still not clear on exactly what the official relationship between Janie Engel and the Funks is, though. But, um, that's what I'm saying. I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing Terry Funk, you know, got the hookup. Yeah. Dennis Brandt. So, yes. Mr. Michael Oshist and the staff of the. Um, yeah. All right, so um, Ric Flair. Here we go. Uh, more and more Ric Flair's name is coming up in WCW. Uh, Bill Watt not wanting to get Flair a special contract. So, you know, I mean, you can see why this would be a big deal. Yes. Watts, doesn't want to, Watts wants Ric Flair but he doesn't want Ric Flair to come in and be this privileged wrestler, I guess, so to speak. Right. With a guaranteed no-cut contract and blah, 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 blah. But we saw what would happen in the end. So there you go. All right, let's talk about Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson did an incredible interview on WCW Saturday night on January 2nd and set the angle air at Watts, which Dave presumes will have aired by the time you read this. The interview was almost too good in that Arn got over as a baby face. Arn scheduled to return on April the 1st, which is about the same time Bobby Eaton's supposed to return. Let's go to Jesse the Body Ventura up close with Arn Anderson. It's time now for WCW Up Close. Hi, this is Jesse the Body Ventura, and I'm sitting in for my colleague Tony Schiavone on WCW Up Close. And I'm thrilled to sit in here today because I have a man sitting with me, someone who even I admire. 
And there ain't many people in this wrestling world that Jesse the Body admires. But the person sitting with me, Arn Anderson, double A, the enforcer. Unbelievable career in world championship wrestling, Arn. You go way back to the days of the four horsemen. You've basically ruled WCW in the time you've been involved in world championship wrestling. Well, I've certainly grown up with WCW and the old NWA. I came here just uh, basically a rookie, greenhorn, and I learned. I learned through battling the best, back to the Dusty Rhodes era, the Magnum TA era, which wasn't so long ago. I took my knocks, I took my bumps, and I learned that you either learn to persevere or you get out. So my roots are here, I feel like this is my home. Well, I'll tell you, you got a great background, Arn. You know, you're, the thing that you and I have in common, we're both Minnesotans, Sorry. and everybody knows how tremendous <laughs> amateur wrestling is in the Midwest. I mean, it's the, we're all the power. You got Minnesota, Iowa, the Big Ten wrestling, and that's where you came up with an amateur background. And I got to hand it to you, you've held just about every tag team title there is to hold in world championship wrestling. You're at the peak of your career right now. These are now. southern Minnesota. But you've suffered an injury, which we all know can happen. It's a rough business, a rough game. You get hurt. How's the knee doing right now? Well, Jess, I've had every injury known to man. Third, three years ago in February, I broke my neck. Herniated disc that qualifies. I've had every other injury. Torn groin. I never could sympathize with guys when they hurt their knee because I'd never been through it. Now, it's that plateau of healing when you start to heal, it just plateaus off. Athletes understand what I'm talking about. You go through a process where you get better, you get a little better, and then it just cuts off, and it's frustrating because without your legs, you cannot compete. I've competed hurt before, as you know. We all, all do. All athletes have had to. Sure. But you can't compete on any serious level without your wheels. Well, 92's drawn to a close now, Iron, and I know we're all looking forward to 1993. I think personally it's going to be the biggest year in WCW history, 1993. A lot of young new wrestlers coming up, a lot of talent that's been here for quite some time right now that it is at the top. What's your expectations for 1993? You've done it all. What's left to do? Let me tell you the kicker at this point, Jesse. The reason my leg is hurt, you're talking about the young talent. I hurt this leg in a match with Eric Watts, national television. Right. Well aware of it. Heard it, he put that new STF on it, took advantage of a situation that he learned from Chono, and he put that hold on, and he hurt that knee. Which, ha, hurrah, good for Eric Watts. But let me tell you the kicker, after what I've been and all that I've done in WCW and the old NWA, here's the kicker. When it comes rebuttal time, if I can get this knee well, I don't have a contract in 93. What? Bill Watts is not renewing my contract. It's sweep Arn Anderson out the door, no rebuttal, let him, if he can get well, fine, but he'll have no rebuttal in WCW, AKA Bill Watts. Wait a minute, wait just a minute. You're telling me, Arn, you've got no contract for 93? A talent of your caliber, they're not signing you? I've earned the right to be here forever, Jesse, and my You're damn right you have. This is my home, okay? But Eric Watts understand one thing, and this pertains to you, not daddy. No contract doesn't pertain to the streets. It doesn't pertain to these arenas where I can buy a ticket. It doesn't pertain to airports. You may be sitting there with your girlfriend holding hands in one of these ice cream shops. Understand one thing, I was here first. I earned my way. And I'm not going to be shoved aside and take it lightly 
you can rest assured of that. I'm Arn Anderson. I've earned that right. I think Bill Watts is protecting his kid. I don't like it. This is Jesse the Body Ventura, the man who tells it like it is. Watts, quit protecting your kid. That's it for this week on Up Close and WCW. That is such a, I mean, I mean, that's an amazing promo by Arn. And he does come off as the baby face in all this. And if I'm Bill Watts, why, how am I allowing th- this to come out like this? I mean, this makes me seem like that I am just being this overprotective father to my kid, not allowing this guy the chance to get revenge on my son. We're going to get rid of him. You know? Yeah. <laughs> You and you want I mean, you wonder why you're getting that backlash from fans for your son your son. It's how you're portraying him and yourself. Yep. You know, it kinda also makes you wonder how different Bill Watts' tenure in WCW could have ended if he's not pushing his son heavily. Mm. Do you think that do you think that Mark Madden would have been so gung ho? On doing that, so if do you, Bill Watts is not pu- pushing his son as heavy as he is. So do you not take Madden at face value, or 1993 Madden at least, that the idea was more that he expected Hank Aaron to be a hypocrite? I'm just wondering if Bill Watts is doing his job differently, th- does that happen? You know? I don't know. I don't think so. I, I don't think much changes, I should say. Because we know how we know how wrestling journalists can be about their favorites, hmm. so that's the thing. I don't know. I, I mean, I can't. You mean it's just a, a you know a thought process. I don't know because what happens happens. But Bill Watts wasn't the most uh, endearing person and uh, stuff like that. So yeah. But Orange promo is fantastic here. Yes. But what do you expect? Well, of course. So, and Jesse did his role very well, too. Yes. All right, so also on Saturday night, Tony Schiavone talked to Eric Watts' former college football coach, Howard Stellenberger, University of Louisville. So uh, you can pretty much guess what they're talking about. Let's go to the clip. <sighs> Happy Saturday night. It's been a big, big week here in World Championship Wrestling, and still to come in this hour, the first match in the tournament to determine the number one contender for ravishing Rick Rude's United States Heavyweight Championship. But before we see rookie Eric Watts in action, are you familiar with who Howard Schnellenberger is? Of course. You know, I'm not a big follower of football, but Howard Schnellenberger, he's definitely a man with credibility and a reputation. He can spot an athlete. He is currently the head football coach at the University of Louisville. He was Eric's coach in college. We caught up with him recently in Louisville, and here's what he had to say. Uh, I knew whatever his uh, goals and ambitions were going to be after uh, graduation, that uh, he would be successful because he has that God-given and innate desire to be the best at whatever he does, and uh, academics are certainly no uh, exception to that. And he has certainly become a, a very uh, determined and courageous uh, athlete uh, in the wrestling ring as well. Well, I don't know that much about wrestling, but I know <clears throat> with his size, strength, and quickness, coupled with his uh, mental makeup, uh, he's not only going to be able to out-physical some of them, but he's also going to be able to outsmart some of them as well. Okay, Coach Howard Schellenberger, thanks a lot for spending time with us, Coach. My pleasure. 
Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest is set for one fall. Introducing first from Big Beat, Oklahoma, uh, weighing in at 206. Oh, there it was. Um, Tony's wearing the same suit here as he did with Paul Horning because Paul Horning lives in Louisville. So he probably interviewed both of them the same day. Makes sense. But, I mean, if Aaron Watts last night, if Aaron Watts wasn't Bill Watts' son, this stuff comes off differently. Again, he's everybody knows he's the boss's son. That's the problem. And everyone knows that he just started wrestling and he's getting too much of a push for someone who's so green. Yes. All right. TV range for the past week saw Sarah Knight do a 2.1. Main event did a 1.7 on the third. Power Hour on the second did a 1.2. Now, this is Wade, Wade Keller had this thought in a long uh, column about um, WCW television. And I plugged it in here because we're talking about television. We play some of this stuff. And this is about WCW compared to what WS about to start doing, as we'll get into later in the show. If WCW went live or just delayed broadcast by a few hours like WF is doing with their new Monday Night Raw show at the Manhattan Center, the headaches of booking and coordinating and taping television eight weeks ahead would disappear. WCW's management jobs would be fun again. They could respond immediately to self-critiques, drops in attendance during the week, reactions at the arenas, injuries, and unexpected firings or hirings. Episode television would return with full force. The glitz and glamour of post-production is unnecessary with slick pre-tape features fill time on the program, such as WCW Up Close, music videos, and highlights of recent reviews or clashes. WCW could study what Vince does with his new live program, along with what has made the USWA live show on WMC work for so many years, and tailor it to their product. Little does Wade know what's about to come in 1993 when Eric Bischoff gets in power. (laughs) (laughs) Going to Disney and taping not just uh, eight weeks ahead, months ahead. <laughs> I mean, Wade's got a, a great point because this also t- kind of tying into the whole rude thing, too, about how they could have, if they would have had more of a live quote unquote show, yeah. that could have addressed it. But he, I mean, he's right. But it just wasn't – it wasn't something that was being done at the time. Vince, I mean, doing that live every other week show, I mean, that changed the game in wrestling. Yep. And props him for doing it, you know? And for doing TV completely differently from how WWF TV had ever been done before. Yes. First year of Monday Night Raw is closer to Memphis than it is anything else. Exactly, Yeah. All right, uh, we talk about the Philadelphia and Baltimore shows. We'll have the full results now. Civic Center, Philadelphia. Opening match, Tuco Scorpio defeated Vinny Vegas. Medusa beat Paulie Dangerously. Eric Watts over Tex Slassinger. Jamie Bad won a boxing match over Scotty Flamingo. Barry Windham over Dustin Rhodes. Sting and Muda over Vader and Chono. That's an interesting match. And then uh, Steamboat and Shane Douglas retained their tag titles, beating the team of Kinsuke Saki and Justin Liger. So what was Sting's match originally? Um, uh, well, let's, well, there's somebody missing. Let's go to Baltimore. Scorpio over Tex Lassinger. Aaron Watts over Vinny Vegas. Johnny Bad won a Boston match over Scotty Flamingo. Steve Owen Douglas retained the tag titles, beating the team of Bobby Eaton and Brian Pillman. Sting over Steve Austin. Okay. Ding, 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 ding. 
Barry Wyndham over Dustin Rose by DQ and Bade over Ron Simmons to retain the title. I mean, to win the title, excuse me. Now, there, I know there's a handheld of at least the main event in Philly, right? Yes, yes. I don't know if I've ever seen it. Have you? I've never seen it. I've seen it listed on tape list, but I've never seen it. It's an interesting match. Yeah. On paper. Oh, yeah. Team of Eaton and Pillman's interesting. It's heels, too. Well, that's a different show, though. But I know. All right. Uh, Jim Ross said the radio silent interviews for the Peach Bowl was said they've done a really good job in carrying guys through interviews. I would hope so. Yeah, the Peach Bowl was the uh, spoil game we have in Atlanta every year. And uh, it was at the Georgia Dome. So he did Atlanta Falcons game. So, yeah, there, you know. All right. To the torch. In Kathy Lee Gifford's recently published autobiography, she talks about how she despised Rick Rude when he was a guest on their program. Frank Gifford, Kathy's husband, was quoted as saying, the stupidity of putting that arrogant sleazeball on the show was due to Michael Gelman's lack of experience. The producer. Okay. The, the thing that we used to think that she had blamed Rude for her miscarriage or whatever the hell people thought it was, was that something she ever actually said? I don't remember or her saying that directly. that with another story. I don't remember her saying that oh, no, directly. Or, or was it that she was, um, or was it that she was very pregnant and she felt it was a bad idea? I haven't seen the clip in a while. Yeah, you know we did it on the show a while back. So yeah, I mean, I have the, I found the uh, excerpt. I don't know if you want me to read it, but it doesn't talk about her pregnancy or anything. But. Um, she was frustrated over it, though, because she felt she could have hurt herself. It does say that. Yeah. In terms of, like, you know, mock chasing her up the set and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> blame Gelman. <laughs> Gelman! Can't believe you booked Rick Road. <laughs> yeah. He keeps doing that dance where he keeps sticking his dick out. Anyway. Stay with a torch. A caller asked Jim Ross and Larry Zbysko on WSB Radio, will the Ultimate Warrior show up at Star K tomorrow? To which Larry Zbysko answered, we would tell you, but we'd have to kill you. <laughs> Zbysko said concerning the newsletters, like the torch, there are these idiots who publish these sheets and suck your money. They think they're experts. The only experts are the ones wearing the tights. Jim Ross did not, despite rumors, respond. I've never worn tights yet. I'm hosting this radio show, and I'm second in rank behind Bill Watts at WCW. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me. That sounds like something Larry would say. So, And to close WCW, <laughs> and as a preview for the Patreon, <laughs> a new syndicated music television show called On Cue Television offer Pony Dangerously a hosting position on the show for his fall 1993 debut. Oh, is that what we call public on, access now? <laughs> on Q Television, a.k.a. Mike Esterman. Yes, Mike Esterman. ECW on... Music yeah. Director. Yes, ECW Music Coordinator Mike Esterman slash On Q TV, which is kayfabe <laughs> for guy who has a public access music show, so he gets the music video from the label that say for promotional use only which is why whenever ecw did a music video they always edited in clips from the actual music video so they could say they were still promoting the artist correct <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a, a taste folks of a, a wild 1993 in the life of paul Heyman. so get ready for that 
on patreon.com slash between the sheets. Uh, let's pull up on QTV for a second on YouTube. I mean, he does have Daisy Fuentes as the interviewer. Maybe it was intended as a syndicated show. Initially. Yeah, I mean, Daisy Fuentes has been on MTV, yeah. Yeah. So, but we've never seen any indication D. that this actually aired on television anywhere, right? No, 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 not at all. And Heyman did do an interview with oh, I forget where it was, but within the last year or so, where he basically acknowledged that our theory about Mike Kesterman was correct. Of course, of course. So anyway, there you go. A syndicated music show. <laughs> All right, well, let's go to Dave Meltzer in Japan. He's in Japan for the Tokyo Dome show, which, of course, doesn't take place during our week. But he does attend a couple of uh, days of shows during our week, the second and third. So we're going to have the full results of some of this stuff uh, as we move on later in the show. But I'll put all of Dave in Japan here in his own little deal. All right, January 2nd. All Japan Open one afternoon show, which was TV taping airs on January 10th. I don't know the results of the show yet. I guess he wasn't there. But the big story was Stan Hansen clobbering Toshi Kawada with a chair and getting Hardway juice. While the juice was Hardway, it was an angle. Kawada came to the ring next afternoon with a huge bandage over his head and also limped pretty badly and didn't work the card. Dave arrived in Japan late that afternoon and got to the wing show at 7.45 p.m. after three matches had been completed. And about 2,000 in the building. It was a sellout, although it was a smaller crowd. They're standing around the end of the sellouts. Wing is an FNW offshoot, which has gained some success promoting outrageous gimmick matches, such as the Nails of Death match on December 20th. The group's most popular wrestler, Mr. Danger, Mr. Masanaga, missed a car because he stopped action from taking the bump on the bed of nails that caused him to suffer 24 puncture wounds in his back. The matches Dave saw started with Gypsy Joe versus Shoji Nakamaki, a 36-year-old former book author who just jumped from FMW. They were very stiff and no fancy moves or anything. Joe was really stiff with the chops, and they traded really hard, brutal chair shots. Joe gave Nakamaki a pounding as his chest was as brutalized as Ric Flair's was years back from the Ronnie Garvin feud. Joe went on with a knee drop off the top rope. Next came Kim Duck against Hiroshi Shimada. Duck is huge. Now, 310 pounds, so there was a big size difference, but he gave Shimada a lot of the match, and one rolling through across flying cross body. Match is a dud. Next came Ray Gonzalez from Puerto Rico, billed as the WWC Junior Heavyweight Champion, although he wasn't wearing a belt, and Dave doesn't think he actually holds the title. Defending against Masaru Toy, only uh, one and a half stars, which is disappointing because Dave's seen Toy have good matches in the past. Gonzalez reminds Dave a lot of the younger version of Johnny Gunn, which may not be surprising since Stewart's a tag team in Puerto Rico. <laughs> He's a good-looking young guy on the small side, but good body, and his work was okay, but he had no charisma. Mr. Ratings, no charisma, Vix. Both did dives during the match. Next up was Yukira Kanamura defending the WC Caribbean title against Rick Patterson, who was on the Monterey Mexico circuit. Patterson, about six foot four, two ninety five pounds, with a real bad looking body. He looks like a fatter version of Colonel De Beers. So Dave's immediate reaction was he was one, a big out of shape guy who can't work. 
The two brawl over the building. This is one of the bloodiest matches Dave's ever seen live. Conor heard a gusher like you wouldn't believe. Blood coming out of like a faucet to the point where not only was his head trick particularly brightly red, but so was his chest. And his legs were even all red. If ever the term swimming in your own blood was appropriate, this was the case. Patterson bled heavily as well. Countermer's only 22. B.S. Scar's not only Manny Fernandez like on his forehead, but on his chest, back, and arms. At 22. Patterson did a crossbow up top rope to the floor, which is impressive considering his size. Countermer finally won 11 minutes with a inside cradle. Dave's not a big blood fan, so he only gave it two stars. And that's something that Dave's always been consistent about, folks. But Dave's sure blood fans would have loved it. Main event was a bunkhouse tag match with Mr. Pogo and Crash the Terminator, William DeMont from New Jersey, and Gypsy Joe as the babyface team against the Cuban assassin, David Cannell, Fidel Sierra, Muhammad Hussein, Lou Fabiano, and Jason the Terrible, Tracy Smothers, managed by Victor Quinones. Victor came out with two baseball bats wrapped in barbed wire. Matches 12-43 of juice, all six bled. Smothers the heaviest of the six. Stiff chair shots, more juice, more stiff chair shots until Joe was pinned after a Cuban assassin game of pile driver with Hussein stuffing him in 12-43. They continue the brawl after the match for a few minutes. Crash is a world warrior animal lookalike, although his body isn't as light but similar size, exact same face paint and haircut, and similar looking face. Jason was unmasked, and his hockey mask was being used on everyone. Match had a lot of heat, face versus heel heat. It was really exciting. Three and a half stars. Well, even though there's a lot of blood on this show, Dave seemed to enjoy himself at the wing show, Bix. Well, there's more than just blood. I know. All Japan, January 3rd. Once again, they ran the afternoon, drawn an announced 2100, but it looked larger since there was standing room everywhere. So maybe it was 2400, Bix. <laughs> the A-match show was a typical All Japan, nothing prelims, good mid-car Superman event. Mr. Momoto Pitaka Omori with a back suplex. Omori is a rookie who reminded Dave of Eric Watts. About as good. Quarter of a star. That is an interesting comparison. <laughs> Mighty in a way, beating Masao in a way, reversing a cradle, one star. Giant Baba, Rushkamura, and Yoshinaru Ogawa beat Rumizumida, Haruka Egan, and Sotorosako. This match is very entertaining and much better than their usual. Credit this to Osaka, who's improved greatly even since August, and has shown some potential, and to Ogawa, who's an underrated worker who somewhat lacks size. Ogawa pinned Osaka with a back suplex to win. The funniest part of the entire show, one of the funniest things Dave's seen in a long time, was when they were teasing the spit spot with Egan, and they did it a few times. Anyway, Baba chopped Egan, who spit, and the spit went to an unalert Russia Kamura's mouth and face, and Kamura ran around the ring freaking out, stealing newspapers from fans at ringside to wipe off his face and drinks to wash out his mouth. What made the pop spot pop big was Baba's immediate reaction, laughing so hard, he fell on the mat in hysterics. <laughs> One and a half stars. Oh, I want to see that so bad. I badly want to see that. Oh. <laughs> Butch Masters and Richard Slinger be Bear Horse and Abdul the Butcher <laughs> when Masters fit over was on a DDT. Holy shit. Masters is about six foot eleven is about the tallest wrestler Dave's seen except for Greg Rollins in Canada and of course Eligante. And he's taller than Andre. He has a lousy looking body, big stomach, no chest. With his face paint and something of resemblance to Art Barr, he was like a seven foot Beetlejuice. Slinger's about five foot five, so the height difference was kind of incredible. Slinger and Horwitz both were well, and Abdullah brought well with Masters. Two and a half stars. 
what was he called? Blade Butch Masters? I don't, I don't know. I just said they call him Butch Masters. So I know him as. And Greg Rollins is a Canadian giant, of course. Yeah. Next, Alpharez and Johnny Ace. What a team. Beat the Fantastics. When Ace pinned Tommy Rogers with DT off the, off the ropes, Johnny Ace has gained a lot of weight and now has a beard and goatee, making him look like a lot like Barry Windham. So he's towered over the Fantastics. Rogers is one of the most underrated workers around. Three stars. Hmm. Then they had the 12-man Battle Royal, all with the junior heavyweights on the card. Lunchman Battle Royals traditionally stink, with the eliminations all being bent by pin, and they usually end quickly and mainly one pop after another. Order of elimination, Fuchi, Rogers, Momota, Perez, Horowitz, Mighty in a way, Masao in a way, Asako, Ogawa, then Slinger, coming down to Bobby Fulton and Shoshi Kikuchi. Ton of heat from there falls back and forth for Kikuchi got the pin. A lot better than the Starkey Battle Royal, <laughs> the quarter stars. Next, Miracle Violence Connection. Terry Gordon and Dr. Steve Williams beat Johnny Smith and Stan Hansen. Very brutal match. Something was way off here. Stiff, almost scary stiff. The execution of the moves wasn't very good. Gordy pinned Smith with a powerbomb. Everyone in the building knew who was going to do the job before they even stepped foot in the ring. Two stars. Yeah, that that's the one thing with Japan. And for many, many years, when you have matches like this, tags and six-mans, you know who's going to do the job. The work's going to be great, but the finish is pretty much, you know, easy to predict. So. But when you're doing tags and you have tiers of guys, or that's. I know. It's just different. It's different. It's different. Yeah. All right. Akira Tawe, Masafuchi, Judakiyama beat Mitsuharu Masawa, Kenta Kabashi, and Shoshikuchi 33 32. This is the best men's match they've seen live, probably dating back to the 1991 War Games in Phoenix. You can't appreciate just how good these matches are until you see them live. Television doesn't do them justice, because while you can appreciate the great moves, the stiffness these guys work with one another has to be appreciated live. The believability factor is way up. Kikuchi got popped in the ear and was bleeding all over the place from his ear. <laughs> Seemed pretty serious because he almost left for the dressing room, and at one point lost his balance, fell off the apron. All kinds of great moves, going back and forth, super heat. Akiyama pin Kikuchi with a German suplex, four and three-quarter stars. Yep. I mean, you also, you can see how Kikuchi would start having more of his problems, too, how he, you know, the style he worked. Yeah. He took crazy bumps and idolized Dynamite Kid. So. Now, Dave went to the other half of the doubleheader at Cork and Hall. N.O.W. <laughs> wow. Kiro Nakasaki's N.O.W. The show was pretty bad. John about 1,100 fans. Dave missed the first two matches, which saw Apollo Shigawara beat Sumitsu Noe and John Hart from Global beating Goro Surumi by disqualification. Yes, he missed JBL. Hiroshi Tanaka beat Eddie Watts and Chuck Williams, Rock and Roll in Philadelphia, beat Kenichi Oya in the next two matches. That's Hisakatsu Oya, folks, doing a job for the Rock and Rebel. It did. Kendo need his promoter's license to run Garakin or something? <laughs> is Frank Talent here as his manager? <laughs> Earlier in the show, they announced Rod Price wasn't there, so he missed a tour, and then Fumio Nakura was injured, we missed the show. Anyway, at this point, Nakura came out and announced he's retiring on February 14th at Cork and Hall. Both UWFI and War have major shows at 10,000 seat buildings in Tokyo that same night, so this car doesn't have a prayer drawing. Now I was put over in the Battle Royal, which included everyone underneath. 
No, I had the largest cheering session. Just me and his high school friends were there. <laughs> the early part of the Royal was pretty bad, but the closing moments when Nia been put over Oya and upset finish was good. Dave did get to see John Hawk live. He looks like a younger Barry Windham, which is funny because the two are actually the same age. That's something that you don't think about, folks. JBL and Barry Windham are the same exact age. But Barry Windham has 10 years more of experience than JBL does. And that's really not green. true, though. Barry Windham is six years older. Oh, really? Remember, there was, that whole, that, there was that whole that thing. That story for, was true. No, there was that whole thing for years where people thought John Layfield was older than he was. Remember? Yeah, that's what I, th- I thought he was. So I forgot that. I forgot that was disproven. So Layfield was born November 66. So he still started fairly late in like his mid to late 20s. But no, no, not the same age as Barry Wendell. And Barry was born in 60. Yeah. Because he was 20 when he's really going to go to Florida. So well, I forgot that story was debunked. Main event was Ishiriki and Nagasaki against Bob Orton Jr. and 52-year-old legendary heel Umanoseki Ueda. Orton was okay doing all the moves when he did when he was a hot wrestler years back. Hot wrestler. Ueda was in terrible shape and wrestled even worse. Ishiriki did a few good moves, working most of the match, taking the heat. Orton put Nagasaki with Superplex. Maybe starting to happen because of Orton mainly. Hmm. What a match. So the moves he did when he was a hot wrestler, would that make them hot moves? Yes. Okay, just making sure. Why is Dave um, even going to a network of wrestling show? <laughs> Why not? All right, the uh, full results of the January 2nd Gorkin Hall show. Jackie Fulton over Sama Teranishi. Richard Slinger and Scott Armstrong over Masao Inoue and Mighty Inoue. The Giant Baba, Roscomero over Ruka Egan and Matoshi Akuma. The Renegade Warriors, Ron Chris Youngblood over Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers. The Wild Bunch, Billy Black and Joel Deaton over Kiratawa and Yoshinara Johnny A. Stan Hansen over Kawada and Kikuchi. And Kabashi Masao over Jumbo and Masafuchi. And then Tawai won the Battle Royal. And then we gave the January 3rd results because Dave was there. And we already gave the NOW results because Dave was there. Now, Wing, Wing ran another show on, on New Year's Eve at Kyoto University Western Auditorium in front of 900 fans. Where we have um, Mr. Takuda over Ryo Miyaki, The Winger and Yukio Kanemura over Kazumi Hirano and Kazuko Masazaki. Roshi Takura went to a 50 minute draw with Masaru Toy. And in a bunkhouse match, Ryo Miyaki and Yukio Kanemura beat Mr. Poko and Shoji Nakamaki. Now, uh, the results that Dave missed on the Jammer Senkorkin show Hirofumi Miura over Kazumi Hirano. Ryo Miyaki went to a 20 minute draw with The Winger. And Masayoshi Moteki and Mr. Takuda over Hiroshi Takura and Kazuko Masazaki. And of course, we gave all the rest of the results. Now, this is the international section in, fo- in, in full scope here. And I, we have another new country to add to our list, Bix, of countries we never talked about in the show before, because I don't think we've done Nigeria yet. Well, we've talked about Nigeria, but not Nigerian pro wrestling. Yes. And we go to the torch. Gentlemen, Chris Adams put together a three week tour of Nigeria. The Pepsi-Cola 7-Up Company is back in the events that will run from April 7th to the 26th. Shows will be run each Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in the large soccer stadiums. Pro wrestling is second and popular behind soccer in Nigeria, Africa's richest country. Cities on the tour include Lagos, Kano, Port Harcourt, Inugu, Ibadan, Boran, 
Joe, is that right? Joe Ledoux, because it's spelled J-O-S, uh, and Kaduna. The list of scheduled talent includes Chris Adams, Superfly Jimmy Snuka, Kevin and Carrie Von Eric. Well, we know that Carrie does not make that trip, sadly. Special Delivery Jones, Great Hammer Valentine, Cousin Luke, Hercules Hernandez, Demolition Axe, Nikolai Volkov, Iceman King Parsons, Killer Tim Brooks, Tommy Rogers, and Tony Adams. All town tour has been finalized already. Okay, so your non-Dallas people are Jimmy Snuka, St. Jones, Craig Valentine, Cousin Luke, Hercules, Bill Eady, Volkov, Tommy Rogers. Most of the crew? Yeah, I wonder what the deal is with that. I guess he was just reaching out to big names. Yeah. Like Cousin Luke. But yeah, this happened a lot, you know, that we don't know about these tours to different countries and stuff. That people would just go away for a while. Yep. Africa, Middle so, East. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, so, oh, it would be nice to learn more about these, but it's a mm-hmm. uphill battle. Yeah, good luck. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for the first half of the show. It is now halftime. So it's a great 1992 or 93 commercials, maybe both. We'll pivot to the halftime seven of the show, where we'll talk about the Patreon yet again. We'll hit some plugs, and then we'll come back and go to North America, where we have news on AAA bringing in some uh, interesting foreign talent. We got some suspensions going on in CMLL and uh, all kinds of other stuff, including uh, one promoter. Blaming television for his uh, house shows, not drawing. All that more after the break. Deep Space Nine is brought to you in part by Intel, the computer inside, and by cold-filtered Miller Genuine Draft. Get out of the old, get into the cold. This symbol outside means you have the standard inside that an entire library of software has been written to. The Intel microprocessor. Think of it as a library card that lets you run the software of today and tomorrow. So check out computers with Intel, the computer inside. Heavy feeling oils that can weigh hair down. 
Vidal Sassoon's new line of personalized conditioners with light-feeling emollients. So light, they disappear into hair. Vidal Sassoon's new conditioners. Remarkable. I wish it were darker so I couldn't see my skin. Pitch black would be nice. Relax. You wash every time, every day with Nagvina. Really great. Thanks. For healthy-looking skin, your face belongs to Nagvina. Ready to eat cheap? With me, Cucaracha's big deal, you get two tacos, two tamales, and two burritos for only 29 cents. Everything's cheap and nothing's pricey. We make burritos. Still going. Nothing outlasts the Energizer battery. It keeps going and going. Ooh, it took a cold morning like this one for me to discover a really great hot cereal for my family. And who would have expected? It's grape nuts. I just pour grape nuts, add milk, and microwave for a minute. Mmm, it's got a warm, smooth, hearty taste that's so delicious we all love it. And grape nuts is fat-free. It's the perfect way to help keep us all going on a cold winter's morning. Hot, delicious grape nuts. Try it for yourself. Hot or cold, breakfast with post-grape nut cereal helps keep you going strong all morning long. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed all those great 1992-1993 commercials. As we fifth to the halftime segment of the show, we'll begin to talk about Patreon, patreon.com slash sheets. And, of course, we had our final uh, Patreon show 2022 go up as uh, we had the final part of our three-part series, a look back at 25 years of Montreal with Brad Hart and Shawn Michaels. And uh, quite the show, um, quite the series. And uh, we touched on uh, where we left off at the end of this episode two, going in 1998. And um, we talked about Wrestling with Shadows, Vince McMahon on Off the Record with Michael Landsberg, and quite the interview, and all kinds of other stuff on the show. A great way to end the series. So everybody go check that out. $5 a month. Patreon.com slash Sheets to get that. And all the other audio that we've done in our six-plus years of the Patreon. So fantastic. Uh, bargain there for all that audio content that we've got and we'll have more to come as in 2023 we'll start off with a two-part series in january and february as we look back at the year in the life of paul Heyman, 1993 and uh we started basically on this show talking about him and on q television so that should be uh quite the show as he leaves wcw then we have the wwe image of crockett then him becoming uh, the booker of Eastern Championship Wrestling, replacing his best friend, Andy Gilbert. So quite the year in the life of Paul Heyman and all these interviews he does with various newsletters and, so, and the like. So, uh, yeah, it should be quite the the uh, series of shows there. So, again, $5 a month gives you access to that. Dollar a month gives you uh, access to our Discord and thanks in this segment. $25, let's figure stuff for the week. Now, make sure that uh, you have two shows in your mind just in case. 
because uh, the show that you may want us to do with your first pick could be something that we have done already, you know, older show, or it could be a week that somebody uh, somebody else has picked. It, it could be any various reasons. So uh, we definitely want you to uh, to to be to be prepared in that sense. If you have any questions, let me or Bix know, and we'll uh, help you out best we can. Make sure that we get your show uh, done. So uh, follow the protocol on the Patreon website to get the information to Bix. Of course, you know the 30-day rules in effect. Get that in before 30 days of your show. The 10-year uh, rules in effect. Wednesday, Tuesday, in the timeline. And all the other stuff that we do. So uh, let's get on it. And uh, we'll have some uh, fun in 2023 with all our Patreon shows. $50 sitting in for a segment of the show. And 100 for the whole show if you choose. That's at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Bix. We have to thank this week as our new and or returning patrons. All right. We would like to thank Dan Jones. Thanks, Dan. Brian Crowley. Thanks, Brian. It may be Crawley, because it's C-R-A-W. Well, that sounds right, yes. And, of course, the winner of the match, Kevin. (laughs) Yes, Kevin, thank you. So we thank all you new patrons, all you uh, old patrons. Patrons have been there from the beginning. Come along the way, stayed, left, came back, what have you. We thank all of you for your support at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Bix, who, who do we have to thank this? I've already said that. Why am I repeating myself? Let's go talk about IWTV, shall we? <laughs> I got thrown off there. I forgot where I was at. Yes. Uh, we are recording this in the middle of the Restival. One show down so far. The uh, Pizza Party Pro show. And uh, that's all in the book. By the time you hear this, you know, should be on On Demand. But coming up this week on the live streams, the main attraction is a uh, West Coast Pro Wrestling show. Can you work Fridays on Friday the 6th at 10 Eastern with a lineup that includes uh, Titus Alexander defending the West Coast Pro title against Alec Price, Nick Wayne versus Alex Shelley, which sounds like a hell of a match. Brian Keith versus Black Taurus, Kevin Blackwood versus Starboy Charlie, and more. So, looks like the usual fun West Coast Pro show. And on On Demand, the big additions this week, after a several-month break for who knows what reason, more All Japan Women uploads, which is, I think they came on Christmas Day, right? Yeah, because I remember you telling me about it. Yes, so they have added... The Exciting Zone from September 7th, 91. Corican Supercharge from January 4th, 92. Oh, so they ran a January 4th show either opposite or right before... Uh, it happens. The first ever January 4th Dome show. Yeah. Tag League 91 from December 8th, 91. Uh, Saint Battle Day from March... 20th, 92. That sounds like a name Tony Khan would come up with. I feel like that might actually Saint be better Battle than St. Patrick's Day Smash. Yeah, that's too many words. Yeah. I like this better. Tony, if you're listening, what about St. Battle Day? <laughs> I don't think he wants to uh, face the wrath of uh, the All Japan Women Brass. 
who holds those copyrights? What's the name of the company that licenses it to IWDB? Queen's Ring or something? I guess. And uh, the other upload is uh, Russell Marin Piad, 1992. And among these uploads, Exciting Zone has a Triple WA world title match with Balnakano defending against uh, your favorite Kyoko Inoue, uh, Kira Hokuto versus Yumiko Hota, Manami Toyota versus Toshio Yamada, and more. And yeah, all the usual good stuff you expect from this era of all Japan women. And because we're still only into early 92 on these uploads, it's still the old uh, split uh, red and white ring design. So hopefully this gets back to being monthly and there will be more and more to come. Uh, we also have uh, in the on demand, they've added some uh, Lucha, Mem- Lucha Mimes shows. Yes. In the last yeah. uh, day or so. Yeah, I haven't so looked if you're too into closely. That, if you're into that, you know, I mean, there's some st- some stuff up there. Yeah, the August 6, 2022 show is headlined by Ultimo Guerrero versus Arrow Boy, which sounds interesting. And they also added December 18th, 2021, which includes Ricky Marvin versus Volador Jr., Negro Navarro versus Mystico. Ultimo Guerrero mm-hmm. versus Virus, Arrowboy Negro Casas. Okay, that's a loaded show. Yeah. So uh, everybody go check that stuff out while it's up there. Fresh. There's not nothing uh, new, new, but still, it's stuff that hey, it ain't been up before. So there you go. Oh, wait, there's more Lucha Mimes that went up in the last few days that I didn't even notice. Uh, June 10th, no, 19th, excuse me, of this year, uh, for a show that includes. Calibus versus Black Terry, uh, Gato de Ecatepec versus Ricky Marvin, Demas versus Pedro de Guerra Jr., and more. So less of a big name loaded show there, but still interesting looking show on paper there. That's right. That's right. So IWTV. Yes. If you're not already a subscriber, use code BTSPOD and we'll get a referral fee for each month that you stay a paid subscriber. There you go. All right, this week's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet source provider is storing your browsing data, many times even selling it. But Private Internet Access can help. Private Internet Access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet source provider or network administrator. And with services in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private Internet Access comes with easy-to-use apps, browser extension for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mac. If you sign up with Private Internet Access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's go over that, shall we? As we have three options for you, we have the regular monthly option of $11.95 a month, have a yearly option of $3.33 a month, or thirty nine ninety five a year, or you get the best three years plus four free months, a dollar ninety eight a month, seventy nine seventy nine dollars for three years, eighty three percent off, the best damn deal there is. And why is that? Because it's so much more expensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. And if you get it right now, you can take. 
advantage of private internet access 30-day risk-free challenge try it out for 30 days see if you like it if not just return it for a full refund so you get that how do you get that us well you go to private internet access.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn vpn on the planet completely risk-free next week on between the sheets we go back to 1995, where we'll have the second year anniversary of Monday Night Raw to talk about in Houston, Texas, featuring William Shatner, among other things. The debut of Mantar takes place during our week, and we have a great promo of Diesel when he was still Big Daddy Cool as uh, his early days as WF World Champion. So. Hey, quite the contrast between him and Bret Hart in this promo segment, too. I love this stuff, so get ready for that. WCW, we have a live uh, WCW main event, interactive. WCW Saturday Night and all kinds of other WCW, everybody, uh, insanity. We got uh, Scott Bowden and the boys uh, going wild in Memphis as PG-13 and Doug Gilmer and Tommy Rich are having quite the feud. So we'll have clips of that. We got... The end of Boots to Cat and Smoky Mountain Wrestling and the aftermath of that in uh, many ways, not just on the, in the promotion, but in, regarding one of their TV affiliates. So we'll have that. And Extreme Championship Wrestling, we have Shane Douglas and Tully Blanchard going 60 minutes, quote-unquote, at the ECW Arena and all kinds of other wackiness there. With our uh, old friend making his return after a long year and a half plus absence, Joe Sposto will be with us next week on Between the Sheets. Uh, the so return should be of quite Diamond Joe entertaining show. Yes. Yeah, so it should be quite the entertaining show. So uh, good times. So check us out next week on Between the Sheets. Yeah. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Chris Zellner, K R I S Z E L N E R. Show proper at BT Sheets by Bix at David Bix. And Bix, what, what have you had going up with Wrestling Inc. this week? I don't think I had anything too notable this week, but I did get to watch the last two episodes of Tales from the Territories. Let's talk about that, shall we? All right, so we'll start off with Jim Crop Promotion since that was the the first one. So um, what were your thoughts on uh, on that episode? It was good. I mean, I don't feel like it got the spirit of the territory as much as the other episodes did, especially the Mid-South one, since I watched them back-to-back. But it was yeah, good. we'll talk about that next. Yeah. But it was good. I think... It, yeah, it was fantastic to me, but I think that... The, what it really did, though, is it really focused on the Dusty years. Well, yeah. Which is understandable because of who was on the panel. Even though we did get the, the plane crash story, which is always a riveting story. Because mm-hmm. of David Crockett telling it first person. But it felt like there's so much more left in the tank for that for that promotion that they definitely could do another one with guys from before Dusty. Yes. That would be a great episode as well. But on the whole, I mean, the the story about the, the Omni, the Arntels, about the turn on the flare turn on Dusty. I mean, that's a hell of a story. And true. I wasn't there. My brothers were. I think they were there. I, I know there were. We definitely have friends there, and it was almost a full scale riot. Yes. And I mean, Arn saying that he thought he almost he thought he could have been killed that night. You know, I mean, that's heat. <laughs> well, um, the way he explained it yeah. was kind of like he didn't say it exactly in these words, but it was basically, Oldie's been stabbed. 
Oli knows when there's too much heat. I am listening to Oli. Oh, and yeah, Oli was stabbed. <laughs> so, I mean, yes, yeah. Oli is one of the confirmed heel stabbings that we know. Of. Roddy Piper happened twice in the same territory. <laughs> I mean, in just a short time span, because <laughs> Piper got stabbed in 82, Oli was in the 70s. So, yeah, I mean, insane territory in, in Crockett. But, but yeah, I mean, this, the, the, you know, Ricky Morton, Baby Doll, I mean, everybody was just great. But what were your thoughts on how they interspersed Cornette and Nikita and all that? Totally different t- style of episode because of that, too. Yeah, I I liked it. It honestly, it was a lot more seamless than I expected it to be. I expected it to be more of like a conscious cutaway, but it's not like they tried to make you think that they were there. But they well, were Nikita kind of, was there. That's he the was thing. there. He just showed up late because his flight was late. Yeah, his flight was late. He was supposed to be on the panel. That's why there's a spot that would have been there for a fifth chair. Yes. Um, and and like, you see him greeting, you see them, him, him greeting everyone at the beginning of the show. Yeah. But he showed up so late. Yes. I did like Nikita explaining um, why he decided to not go back to being Scott Simpson. Makes sense. Well, c- right, because the way he explained it is like, you know, once you name your daughter Koloff and the hospital records say that her parents are from Lithuania, or at least her dad's from Lithuania, there's no real going back. Nope. <laughs> You've done it now. Yeah, exactly. There's no going back. But um, but yeah, I thought it was uh, an awesome show. And then we get the next week, Mid-South Wrestling, and this was the best episode of the entire series, I thought. It nailed what made the territory work better than the other episodes. And it's because of who was on the panel. I mean, you had as good of a, a panel as you could have had for that promotion. Yes. Raw, Jim Ross, Michael Hayes, Ted DiBiase, and Jake the Snake Roberts. All guys who had been in Mid-South and various – I mean, Ross was there through, through one long stretch. But guys that left and came back in various incarnations of themselves. Yes. You know, Taze, who was there, you know, his first real, the first big angle with JYD. And then he comes back later on in 86 as an established guy. DiBiase, who started out, you know, basically in the territory. Young Babyface, growing up there, then doing the big term with JYD, leaving and coming back. Jake, who was Babyface when he was early in the territory, leaving, coming back, being a heel. You know, I mean, you got so much there to work with. And... Yeah, it was just uh, it's a fantastic show. Uh, what are, what are more your thoughts on that? Um, just to add to what you said too, like Hayes was a guy who would be brought in for Superdome shows when he wasn't in the territory, so he was even able to add to other stories from when he wasn't working actively in the territory. Yeah, it's a Jake, not the Jake Ali story because he yeah, was there exactly. Yeah, I thought they did a great job laying out the JYD bonding. Yes. In particular, um, trying to think what else, just in general, getting JYD's appeal across, which I would say the the only other thing they could have really done was maybe shown some prom- more promo clips of JYD, but we don't have that many because we don't really have local promos from the JYD era. So I get not necessarily going in that direction. Um, 
but just it was just in terms of just feel and the right people being there it it just clicked the most of the episode so far yeah and you get the the story of the ribs you know the buddy robert's rib the bar fight with jake and duggan you know that whole thing you get the dibiase the rumor girl won the murder ted dibiase story yeah. i mean and the in the bill watch jerry brown story I mean, there's there's a lot of heavy shit on this show. Yeah, okay, a so lot. I, have a, I have a question about the Jerry Brown thing. Is Jerry Brown having gone there a few days previously and fired shots a thing that was already something out there? I don't remember that one ever being out there before. I think this was, that was a new revelation that came on this one. And, you know, JR did make clear that he wasn't sure how much of the parts that Bill had told him were true. As much as he could see Bill doing all of it, especially under those circumstances. But, I mean, it does explain everything a lot better if that happened. Yeah. And maybe that's something Bill didn't want to bring up. Yeah. And it's telling out a story. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, just, just the whole season was great. And uh, I hope to hear soon about the. Uh, Episodes coming. I mean, the a new season starting up and all that stuff. I can't wait because I, I love that show. So and there's so much more I think left to do. So yeah, yeah, everybody go check that out any way you can find it. I know there's some of them on YouTube. You can find it on your Vice apps or Vice TV or whatever. So uh, everybody go find a way to watch it. Yeah, excellent so, I mean, stuff. So of territories they didn't cover. And I guess, you know, there's other places you could cover that weren't necessarily territories. I mean, who do you try to go for for another season? George is the obvious one. San Antonio. Um, St. Louis is not a territory, but I think you can do a St. Louis episode. Well, here, I mean, uh, Southeastern. Yeah. Um, Los Angeles. Los Angeles. San Francisco. San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, Amarillo. Um, you could do a show on Poffo's ICW. Yeah. I mean, that there, there aren't... Living yeah. people for these, too. I mean, like, Amarillo, maybe a lot of it would be guys who were there later, but not all. But, like, you could have, like, you know, JJ, Dory Jr., Tito Santana, DBI. There's people that could do it, yeah. yeah. Um, Einhorn's IWA. I don't know if there are enough people living that could probably do that. Ooh, let's see. I mean, that's definitely one that Lars Anderson could be a part of. Yeah. Again. I mean, there's some people that's still around. Tommy Young. Yeah. You know? Um, there's stuff. There's stuff. You know, they could do a show on, uh... I mean, they didn't do one on WWF. No. They could do one on WWF. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sheik, Detroit. Yeah. Um, yeah, th- there's a bruiser, WWE Indianapolis. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there's enough to do a whole another season of just new shit, new gr- places. Um, Montreal. Yeah. Vancouver, if they want to go Tomco. Oh, I mean, Puerto Rico. Port- yeah, Puerto Rico. Yeah, I can forget that. I don't know if anyone I mean, would really want a Tomco episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just throwing out places they didn't do. Yeah. Toronto, Toronto's not really. I mean, Maple Leaf Wrestling wasn't a territory, really. I mean, it's a 
they would do the shows at Maple Leaf Gardens and then do spot shows around it. Yeah. You know, it wasn't a territory. You know, what probably Mar- mean, Maritimes. That's what I was about to say. Maritimes, even though it's not as, like, big names, especially if you could get it, would probably be a very entertaining episode. And hey, why not New Japan and All Japan? Mm-hmm. You know? Other I mean, Austria, yeah, I mean, Europe. And there, there, there's options. Or they, they really want to try something, try Mexico. I don't know. I mean, there's stuff they could do. Yeah. But I definitely want to see the show come back. Absolutely. Yes. All right. Well, on that note, let's get back to the rest of the show. All right. Let's go to North America now. Let's start with Mexico with AAA. It looks as though Chaz Taylor isn't cutting it. Because Canadian Tiger, Mike Lazansky, is bringing a partner from Calgary, and they'll team as the Chippendales. Taylor's game was originally Chippendale. Also in the AAA are Pimpinella Escalada, who many believe will be the next Negro Casas, Solomon Grundy, and the group is going to make a play for Dan Crawford and Doug Furness. Of course, that doesn't happen, but uh, yeah, Jazz uh, was in AAA in the early uh, era of that promotion, uh, coming in from GWF, and uh, he was there as an American Chippendale. And then he stays longer than this because he's there in 93. So obviously Dave's theory isn't exactly true. Maybe just they're bringing in Mike Lazansky and it's bringing in another guy with him or something. Right. But um, you just forget sometimes, about, you know, the early days of AAA and, and some of the foreigners that was coming in there. And uh, yeah, Chaz was definitely there for a little bit. I mean, people are making good money in t- at the time in Mexico, you know, the foreign talent, especially, so good for him. And he was, uh, he had the right look, you know. Uh, let's not He's expand on the... that. I'm just saying he had the right look for AAA. Well, yes. A lot of their uh, technicos wore tiny tights and had muscles and longish hair, so yeah, he was... Uh... Is perfect for that group. Now, Pimpinella Escalada is the next Negro Casas. That's an interesting comparison. I mean, Pimpy is every bit, excuse me, every bit that good a worker. Yeah. But this is early in that game. So kind of makes you wonder how much, um, how much stick Pimpy was doing that time compared to what stick Pimpy would do as time went on. Probably less. Yeah, because Pimpy would, t- would, would uh, turn it up. In later years. It'd be interesting Crawford and Furnace at AAA with uh, Eddie and Art there. Yeah. Would they would have had them against each other? Or I don't know how that would have played out. Maybe. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. They have just worked See, Mexico, though, so it's not like they're unfamiliar with the They were in UWA. Yeah. yeah, they were in UWA, yeah. yeah. All right. Let's go to CMLO. Prato Morgan, Arredelisco Jr., and La Fiera have been, all been suspended due to no-shows. Prato and Fiera were pulled from all bookings for two weeks, while Arroyo was pulled from all bookings for the entire month of January. The way the system works here is that the top wrestlers are booked from the office to independent local promoters who pay a wrestler a certain guarantee, plus pay the office a booking fee. No-showing is considered far more of a major offense here in the United States, and it usually brings us a suspension. However, they don't suspend the wrestler right away because he's got bookings and cities already planned and announced. So usually the office picks up after the last scheduled booking. 
They only book a few weeks in advance, and then they put them to suspension. Arroyo, however, no show the December 27th major show in Guadalajara. It was immediately suspended. It was turning heat around this one. Arroyo's father, the original Arroyo de la School, was around 61, but is considered by many as the most charismatic wrestler ever to work in Mexico. And a local legend from Guadalajara. And like the crush used to be in the Midwest in the advanced stage, was always able to draw when he'd be brought back. Was scheduled a team with his son in the main event, and both of them no-showed. That was the main draw of the show, which is a union benefit card. The union promoted the show, and they got all the gate receipts. Every in Mexico is required to run one union benefit show per year, and the union puts together loaded shows as it gets the gate money. In the civil press release announcing the suspension, exceedingly harsh tones were used towards Arrajo Jr. <laughs> so not only did he no-show, his father no-show too, and then the show they no-showed was a union benefit show. Oh yeah, that's going to endear him to everybody involved. <laughs> I'm going to guess that this is when all the union stuff and the issues with Manny Guzman are starting to come to a head, though, and that maybe they intentionally no-showed this uh, because reasons. I feel like that would make the most sense of this. Possibly, but... Because 93 I mean, is when everything comes to a head, right? With the embezzlement and the publicity stunts and all that. Later on, yes. But it's creeping up, is what I mean. Yeah, it's a while, but still. I mean, the fact is... You screwed promoters and their union at the same time. So, not bad. Not <laughs> Piss everybody off. So, yeah, not the best professional move, but it's not like these guys weren't going to uh, be right back in main events right after this. So, they knew it didn't, really didn't matter. Because, I mean, these guys are all three of these guys were longtime veterans, been, the, been top guys. And they knew what, what, what the deal was. So, and they got away with it. Even with promotional work going on. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's the other thing, too. All right, let me see how long it takes for them to come back. To Guadalajara? Uh, Just, no, this is a uh, period. All right, so... Uh, Oh, because it's an uh, office suspension, not a commission suspension? They're, work, they're working uh, the, the, the January 3rd. So they're working in our week, Pirata and uh, La Fiera. Well, there you go, then. Io, see here. Rio is back in February. February 12th. So there you go there. Also, I just realized something. The degree of embezzlement that was going on becomes a lot more clear when you realize that every arena in Mexico was required to run a union benefit show every year where the whole gate went to the union. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that, on how they uh, tried to strong-arm these buildings into doing that? I mean, they had the only functional wrestling union ever until, you know, 93, so I don't know if you can argue with it too much as far as working. It is so great, though, for him. So, there is a Black Magic, Norma Smiley's first world title defense on New Year's Day at Mexico City Interfederation match against Viona Four, who's already holds titles currently in three different federations. He's going for number four. He's UWA tag champ, Universal Super Middleweight champ in Japan, 
WWE Heavyweight Champion. Only drew 1,200 fans law. P- Arena Pista Revolution. Not good. And similar and UWA working on lots of joint shows together, some of which are drawing very well, but not all of them. Mm-hmm. I, I'm surprised by Dave using the term federation here. Yeah. Yeah. Why not just say the promotion, but whatever. You know. Yeah. But speaking of UWA. Biggest news here is that Viano Tessera has been one of the UWA's major headliners. Quit the promotion and scheduled debut on January 8th for AAA. Rome is major burning, brother. Blow. Yep. Major blow to this promotion. And it's pretty much the next worst thing that could happen, short of Connect leaving, and arguably worse because Viano Tercera still has a lot left in the tank in a way that Connect does not. You know, Connect would wrestle a decade or more after Pedro Guayo Senior retired and won an MMA <laughs> fight. Yeah. That's that's crazy to think about. Now, this is an interesting story. UWF promoter Carlos Mañez did an interview in Bossy Lucha Magazine and said that the current trend of poor attendance has proven that television coverage is a negative. Mañez, who has promoted for 34 years with this being his worst one financially, has proven that fans won't pay to see what they can see for free. He also criticized all the wrestlers who jumped from his organization to AAA, saying Fishman was the only real star who jumped, and so the rest weren't stars. 1988, Eddie Guerrero wasn't a star. Well, he's obviously bitter. But I love that, uh, <laughs> you know, he's he's burying uh, television for the reasons why his shows can't succeed. You know, I mean, yeah, UWA didn't have television for all those years until the previous year plus. But I think it's more than television that's the reason why your stuff is uh, dying, you know? Running with a pad hand and everyone else dropping. Yes. I mean, you look at the, the guys that's working there at that time as top guys. It's guys that have been there forever. Mm-hmm. And this guys that really didn't have any drawing power in that time period. Nope. On the whole. Nope. So, um, I mean, so what do you think? You think, do you think mine is... With, with the history of what that promotion was, with you know, with, with regarding television, do you think he's, pop, you know, right in his line of thinking that television did affect his promotion, of, of out of any promotion? Yes, but in the way that all the smaller promoters were fearing it would hurt them, that it would make it so that only the TV stars were the stars and hurt everyone else. And he had the weakest TV by the time he got to you. And the weakest talent base as a whole, too. Yeah. You know, that's another thing. You know, so much. All right, let's go to America again, and let's go to the indie scene. And we start in Georgia. A group called Georgia Championship Wrestling was advertising a show in Macon, Georgia, on January 3rd, using names like Stan Hansen, Buddy Lando, Abdul the Butcher, Rock and Roll Express, and Ivan Koloff. About a week before the show, they stopped advertising all of those names and instead pushed Tommy Ridge versus Steve the Brawler Lawler as the main event and drew two, about 200 fans of Fat All's Pop. Okay. No idea who this could have been. None. I mean, the closest I could think of would be maybe one of the Oats brothers. Okay. But uh, I just, I, I don't think so. So I don't know. You get a lot of this. I mean, in this era, there were 
shows in Georgia that would do this, promoters that would advertise some big names. And then when the show came, you didn't have those names there. And most of the time, you didn't get that no real explanation about why they're not there. Yeah, uh, indie wrestling in Georgia was tough yeah. for a few years there. Really was. ICWA in Tampa, they were in the Sportatorium on January 2nd. We had the Coconut Man beating Jungle Jim Steele. Tex Salinger over Kenny Kendall. Master Blaster and the Terminator, Martin Laurinaitis, over Rico Frederico. Oh, and Hurricane Walker. Of course, Master Blaster is Al Green. So it's the Wrecking Crew, basically. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. A Star Rider over Alan Iron Eagle. <laughs> so one of the Star Riders. Blade or Rock. Or whatever their names were. And then uh, Jimmy Backlund and Pat Tanaka had a steel cage match. And then a double disqualification. Well, that's just for the best. And, fantastic. Screwjob in a DNS cage match. You gotta love it on the indie show. How about having a wrestling match where Pat Tanaka is undisputedly the better person in the match? <laughs> yeah, there is that. I guess I couldn't bring in Grizzly Smith to be the referee. Oh, He's too busy boy. being a member of the board of directors of WCW. Uh, <laughs> enough about that. Smoky Mountain Wrestling. No TV for Smoky this week. No clips because it was a year in review show. But we did, and no out shows as they were off. But we have this little uh, tidbit here for the torch. Smoky Mountain Wrestling merchandise orders as far as back as October are behind. However, Smoky Mountain officials have assured the torch that they plan to fulfill all their orders. Because of the high response to their ads, Smoky Mountain is having to purchase more dubbing equipment to handle the orders. That's the delay. Is well, that's this... a good sign. Yes. Is this from ads in the torch, or have those not appeared yet? Uh, I don't know if it's from in the torch, but, you know, on TV, they always promoted this stuff, so. No, yeah, but as this is an influx of new orders that are, I think, people ordering the TV that are not in the territory. Well, yeah, to my dubbing, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, Wade, I think, would come to regret taking ads from... A promotion he covered. Yeah. Well, he was ahead of, ahead of his time, though, Dix. Yeah. No wrestling, no wrestling news site would do that today for a wrestling promotion. Or, a, well, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, they wouldn't be offering uh, travel package plans for any wrestling promotions. Come on now. Well, never. All right. Yes, WA. The December 28th uh, Mid-South Coliseum show drew a $15,000 house. And with kids under 12 free, there was an estimated 3,500 in the building. It was the largest Mid-South Coliseum crowd in recent memory. The Bruce brothers, Ron and Don Harris, won USWA Tattoos from the Moondogs when Ron pinned Moondogs spot at the come-off top with a loaded boot. The Christmas creature that worked the show isn't Brian Lee, as speculated on here last week since he was working house shows the last few nights. While Lee was working Smoky Mountain shows same nights. But it definitely can't be both. It can't be him because working both shows, that's sure. But the Christmas creature is that a rookie wrestler who is six foot eight named Glenn Jacobs. He was a mass on Tom versus Mass Match with Law on December twenty eighth. However, they put makeup on his face to make him resemble Sid. They got him out of there so fast that probably some fans thought he was actually Sid. I don't think there was makeup to make him what would that even be? I think 
I'm guessing that means he shaved and that people noticed the hair. Yeah. Now, by the way, did you see on that note that uh, Kevin Lawler posted his original concept art for Christmas Creature on Facebook? Uh, no. Okay. I will send that to you then. All right. That's pretty impressive, but yeah, that's the origin there. Um, I'm doing this on my phone because I'm having to temporarily use the mic on my laptop, so I don't want to use uh, just, the keyboard and make tapping noises. Uh, so that, that they're trying to make him look like Sid. Sure. The Christmas creature. Yeah, this is Glenn Jacobs' first real big spot in wrestling. Yeah, because he hasn't even been in Puerto Rico yet. No. The headline match on that December 28th show was, was billed as a 16-man Moondog Battle Royal. It's on the Royal Rumble rules with men entering every two minutes. But the difference is, on the way to the ring, all them pick up, all them men will be given a board when they enter. The crew drew names on television with Moondog Spot Don Harris starting. Spot ended up surviving to the end, throwing out Master Terror number two, Ken Raper, to win the match. All right, there are our full results here. Burt Prentice and Leslie Ballinger over Miss Texas and Eddie Marlin. An Oriental death match, Bill Dundee and Danny Davis over the Masters of Terror, Ken Raper and Ken Wayne. One of Bix's favorite tag combinations of all time, just for the names alone. <sighs> Harris title for the USW Heavyweight title, Jeff Jarrett retained over Brian Christopher. We'll talk more about that in a second. USW tag titles, the Bruce Brothers won over the Moondogs. Jerry Lawler retained the unified world title over Christmas Creature. He unmasked him, but he has a mask on the line. And then uh, Moondust Fight won the Battle Royal. So, there you go. D- I sent All right, you Jamie. the uh, Christmas Creature stuff on Twitter. Okay. Those were those notifications. Okay. You can tell Kevin has his dad's talent as an artist. Yeah. Yeah, that is definitely interesting, isn't it? Huh, okay. All right, uh, the television on January 2nd opened with Dave Brown announcing it was Bill Dundee's last television show because he was taking a front office position with WCW. Dundee didn't thank the fans and said this would be his final week in each city. Well, we got the superstar in the studios in Memphis for one last call, so let's go to that. For now. For now. Yeah. It's Memphis. Now, talk know. to him about the tour coming up. Here he is right here. You're looking at him uh, perhaps for the last time on USWA Championship Wrestling. As again, in case you joined us a couple of minutes late, Bill's accepted an executive position with another wrestling organization. And Bill, I, uh, I'm happy for you. Congratulations on the, uh, on the new position. But uh, gosh, going to miss seeing you around here. Well, Dave, I appreciate the kind words. And for the last 20 years, I've been here every Saturday morning. And, you know, I've been thinking about this all week, and it didn't seem real hard when I was thinking about it, but it's awful hard to say it. You know, the the wrestling fans, without the wrestling fans, there ain't no wrestling, so let's not mistake that. But to become more than that after 20 years, it's like, you know, little guys this big now, they're this big. Man, I've been watching you all my life, you know. Well, that's true. 20 years I've been around here, and you get to love the people. I know a lot of them love me, some, some, you know, some me, some not, but most of them do. And and I've had a good rapport with all the fans, and I just wanted to take this opportunity, and I talked to Eddie Martin. I said, hey, man, book me everywhere this week where USWA is going to go, because I personally want to say goodbye. So I'm going to go down to WCW and see what happens down there. I don't know. Probably have to wear a suit and a tie. I don't know. But anyway, when I climb in this ring today for this TV match today, this is the last time it's going to be here. And then all week long, I'm going to be around where USWA is. And I just want to say goodbye to everybody personally. Dave, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Thanks. Bill. It's been great watching you all this time in the ring there. And again, congratulations on the uh, on the new job uh, in the ring right now. 
Mike Miller, this uh, has the makings of a good one. All right. <laughs> Only in Memphis. Only in Memphis would you... I mean, had this meeting, that's just total shoot. Yeah. He's leaving Memphis wrestling to go work in the front office of WCW. And I'm guessing this is Jerry Jarrett. Um, well, actually, wait, is Jerry still involved day to day at this point? When does he hand over day to day to Randy? I don't know, but he's there, uh, you know, he's at this point in time, I think, so. Okay, the reason I ask is because this feels a little bit like Jerry Jarrett making good on not letting Lance say goodbye in 89. Well, it's also Jerry Jarrett and Lance's relationship, too, was what it was. Yes, although if you believe Lance's side, which is the side I would believe over Jerry Jarrett... The Lance never conspired to help Jerry Lawler steal the territory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the way Lance explained it to me was that when that stuff's going down in 83, when Lawler's getting fed up and brings so many guys in or getting ready to bring in guys in case he splits, like, he had asked Lance, like, if I make a move, are you with me? And Lance said yes, but that was it. Yeah. I, don't know, I mean, then these left and came back before. You know, so it wasn't like... Well, that too. So, so, and he's not going to be an active wrestler in WCW. Well, he's going to be on screen, though. Yeah, but saying, not the same thing. No. And now he's going to be a British nobleman. <laughs> yeah. So Dundee wrestled Mike Miller on television, but the Master of Terror interfered and power drove him. And Dundee, they believe, finished up on January 4th in Memphis. TV airs on the other cities on January 9th. The power driver in those cities was said to have injured Dundee, so he didn't appear for a farewell appearance anywhere but Memphis. Huh. Interesting. Now, Jerry, Jerry Lawler comes up in an interview and talks about how he was announced at WF and how Dundee was running for WCW. He said in the past, competition was between wrestlers, but lately it's been among pr- promotions. But lately, Lawler said the competition is going back to the wrestlers because the respective promotions realize they can learn from each other and peacefully coexist. Kumbaya, Jerry Lawler. Let's go to Jerry and Dave Brown. Let's see what he's got to talk about here because he's got other subjects on his mind as well. You've got Mike Samples on your mind. Well, i got Mike Samples. I've got a lot of stuff on my mind. First of all, you know, I was... Uh... This is a great-looking group of people. Can we get a shot and let them be on TV for a minute? Come on, let's make some noise. Right out here. Of course, I can't exactly say the same for Bill there just a second ago. You know, I watched uh, I watched Bill come out here and talk for a second about his new, uh, I guess you, what you call a career move, and a, and a great opportunity it is for Bill. I, I think that Hopefully, 1993 will be a very exciting year for professional wrestling in general, not just uh, here in the USWA. You know, for years, we have, we have uh, told everybody, worked hard, fought our brains out, trying to convince everybody that the wrestlers here in the USWA were as tough as the, any other organization anywhere in the world. And unfortunately, the competition the past few years has has not been always between the wrestlers. It's been more competition between the organizations themselves, the WWF, the WCW, USWA, so, and, and some of the other smaller organizations have been basically forced out of business by these bigger groups. And, uh, you know, the, really the fans are the ones that suffer when this kind of situation takes place. But 
As I said, hopefully 1993, things look exciting because some of these, uh, the, the bigger organizations are looking around and I think they realize that uh, there's some great talent right here in the USWA. The WCW called Bill Dundee. They look down here. They see the great things happening here. They call Bill Dundee and ask him to come and join their organization and, and uh, see if they can get some of these exciting things happening in the WCW. As a lot of people have probably seen, I have myself been the past few weeks right there on the WWF television, and uh, they called me, asked me if I would come sit in on their TV, simply because I think they looked around the country and they said, who is the most exciting guy we see on television anywhere in the world? And it's the king, and so they want to call me to come up there. But I want to tell you one thing. I am not leaving my home. I am not leaving the USWA. I am here to stay. I can guarantee you that. And we're going to see, you know, what? one of the things that I saw was when I went up to the WWF, I saw Macho Man Randy Savage. I saw Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning. I saw the mouth of the South Jimmy Hart. Every one of these guys are the same wrestlers that started and wrestled right here in this studio, right here in this ring, stood right here in front of everybody. They're the same guys. And as I said, hopefully in 1993, the competition will now get back between the wrestlers where it belongs and, the, and maybe the organizations will be able to get along and all the fans are going to be, uh, they're going to be the ones that will benefit from this because they'll see some great matches between all the wrestlers and all the organizations and that's what will be exciting. Now you said, Mike, I've dragged this out, but anyway, Mike Miller, uh, Mike Miller was out here with pause a little... Pause real quick, pause, 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 pause. I'm not going to... What do you think about how Lawler handled all that there? I thought he did a good job. I thought it was an interesting way to put it, though. Well, he's just now getting in WF. Yeah. So he's only announcing he's not done any angles yet. He's not on the road at all. So he's not having to really apologize for anything, you know? Yes, he's just... I mean, has he even done Superstars yet, or is he only on primetime? Yes. Okay. I think he just started Superstars that first Saturday. That sounds right. On that, on that, on that day, January second, I think that was when he first started. So he's just having to go to Stanford once a month or whatever. Pretty much. Yeah. But man, I mean, again, only in Memphis would you have something like this going on, where the two ledges of the territory is now working for the rival major promotions in non-wrestling positions. Yep. All right, so Lawler's talking about an incident with Mike Miller. All right, so we're going to, this is a multi part segment. So let's stay with the king here as he lays it out, and then uh, we'll hear from Mike Miller, and then the king will come back. So this is an interesting little angle they're, they're running, running here. Comment on that. Uh, I, I'm not going to tell you what happened there. I'll leave that uh, to your imagination. But Mike Samples, we had this little moon dog battle royal, and Mike Samples in my opinion, cost me $10,000. Now, when somebody costs me $10,000, I don't like it. And I don't take it lightly. Now, I, went, I was number 12 in that battle royal. A lot of guys had already been eliminated. There were only four more guys to enter after me. I, looked, I, I was sitting pretty. I went in there, and I, I took the garbage can in, and I was busting heads left and right. All of a sudden, Mike Samples reaches in his pocket, pulls out some kind of object there, and knocks my lights out. Well, Mike Samples... Like I said, I feel like you cost me $10,000, and so that there's no, no uh, misunderstanding about it, let's just take a little, just a, take just a second, take a look at what Mike Samples did, and then you're going to realize, Punk, exactly why the king wants a little bit of your rear end. All right. Lawler's got a trash can. Mike Samples. Now a Jerry in there. 
Just a Moondog Battle Royal here. He clobbered him with something. He pinned Lawler two, three to get him. That's it. Mike samples. Everybody saw it. You got it out of your pocket. You hit me in the head with it. You put it back in your pocket. And then I come up, not winning the Battle Royal, costing me $10,000. So, Mike Sample, I want you to realize one thing, pal. Me and you, I got a little date with you. Look out, Dave. Look out. Look out. Oh. Mike Miller's pulling a chair at Lawler. What is going on here? Miller. Then he came out with that folding metal chair up in the air, ready to throw it, and he did. Here comes some help. See if you can get them apart there. Well, I don't, I don't know what that's all about. The King talking about Mike Sample. Although he did mention Miller earlier and said he wasn't going to have any comment about the way Miller looked today. You know, we had mentioned during the match. Uh, there they go again. We had mentioned during the match that Miller had been in some kind of fight or, or something. The face is really messed up. Well, they got him apart now. Jeff, Eddie, and Freezer and everybody have uh, been uh, helping, uh, the, uh, hold, holding the king back and getting him out of here. Uh, boy, I don't know what the deal is, but I'm going to try to find out what's going on here. Let's take a break, and we'll be back with you in a moment. Stay with us. Yeah, he just All chucked right. a chair at him from off camera. Right in his head. <laughs> All right, so Dave catches up Mike Miller, and now let's let Mike Miller tell you his side of the story of why his face is looking like it's looking. Thanks, Jerry Lawler. Didn't, th didn't that uh, flying chair used to be... Uh, it probably still is. Wasn't that like my signature, a gif of that at Pro Wrestling Only? Yes. Yeah, it was. Well, it's Lawler, so it's okay. <laughs> All right, Mike. It's uh, it's it's apparently over. Dave Brown is not over yet. <laughs> I heard you out here trying to explain to these idiots what happened to me. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to tell all these idiots and everybody. In the midst out there, what happened? Me, me, Mike Miller. I'm not a bad person. I was out New Year's like everybody else was. I'm sure you were. I'm sure millions of Americans. the floor at the same building. They let me in. Here's this punk. This punk. The king of Memphis. The king of wrestling. Sitting over there having milk and cookies and signing autographs. Dave Brown, I was minding my own business. I wasn't saying nothing. 
He comes over to me. He says, would you please leave? Well, let me tell you something, Lawler, and let me tell anybody in this building, when I go to some place, when I get ready to leave, I'll leave. I wasn't ready to leave. He asked me. I told him, I said, I'm having a good time. I turned my back. I was talking to this lady friend of my mind. I turned, I felt somebody swing me around and wham. That's all I remember. I brought 1993 in flat on my back. Well, let me tell you something, Lawler. I'm gonna tell you, boy, you mess with me, you mess with the wrong person. I may not be in the top 10. I may not be one of the top in America, but let me tell you something, okay? You don't come up to me, you don't hit me, you don't leave me laying at a party flat on my back with my nose busted and my eye busted. Cause let me tell you something, boy, you did it to the wrong person this time. You did it to the wrong person. Cause brother, I'm gonna get my advantage. My advantage is coming up to you everywhere I see you. King of Memphis, King of Wrestling, Jerry the King Lawler. Oh boy, oh boy. When you see me, brother, I'm gonna be on you like white on rice. I'm gonna stay on you. I don't care where you are, where you're at. I don't care if you're getting in your car. I don't care if you're at a store. I don't care if you're playing softball. I don't care if you're signing autographs. I'm gonna come up to you and I'm gonna leave you laying you're going to be laying flat, looking up at the lights, just like you did me. And let me tell you something, brother. I still feel it. And I got to look this way. I got to walk around in front of all these people looking like this. I'm not going to do it, Dave Brown. I'm going to get you back, Lawler. You see this face? This is looking good compared to what you're going to be looking like when I get through with you, baby. Oh, yeah. Versions of what happened. You figure out which one you believe. We'll be back. Well, partly, partly. Let's go to the king, and he's going to talk about this again, because he has a rebuttal. For them, for a moment. King has got uh, got that ten-round boxing match coming up with Mike Sample. Yeah, that's right. I'm looking forward to that, but I want to talk a little bit about Mike Miller for just a second. Now, Mike Miller came out here, and he tried to tell his side of the story. Well, first of all, the story is better left untold because this is something that didn't happen in a wrestling ring. This is something that took place outside. It's something that you call personal business, something that I felt like I took care of, and that's all I was going to That's all I was gonna say. It was all said and done. But Mike Miller wants to come out here and continue it on. Well, Mike, let me just go ahead then and tell the entire story because apparently... Your memory is still a little bit foggy, if you know what I mean. First of all, it wasn't, didn't even happen New Year's Eve, because New Year's Eve, Mike Miller, I was with some real friends of mine, some guys I play ball with, and we had a great time. But it happened the day after that, Mike Miller. You were probably so drunk from New Year's Eve that it carried over <laughs> to the next day. That's the true story of what happened. Mike Miller is out celebrating a little bit too much. Mike Miller is celebrating so much that when I saw him at the party, he was blind, running, drunk, Mike Miller. Why don't you come out here and tell everybody that? <laughs> now, you want to call me Mr. Goody Two-Shoes? Well, I'm proud of the fact that I don't drink, and I've never drank in my life. 
And yeah, if you see me at a party, the strongest thing I'll be drinking will be a Coca-Cola. And I'm not ashamed of that. I'm proud of it, Mike Miller, because I don't go around and make an ass out of myself like you were doing <laughs> when you were drunk. Now, let me tell you something. The host of that party came to me and said, this guy that is uninvited to begin with is over here shoving people. He's over here bad-mouthing people. He's over here talking about what a big shot he is, and he's talking about things he shouldn't be talking about. And he asked me to shut you up. Well, Mike Miller, I asked you nicely. I told you I think it's best, Mike, if you left because you're in no condition to be hanging around here in front of a bunch of people. But Mike Miller said, yeah, the only true thing you said out here today was you told me right in my face, ain't nobody going to tell me to leave a party. Ain't nobody going to put their hands on me when I'm celebrating. Well, Mike Miller, I think when I said shut up, you thought I said stand up, and you got up, and you thought you were going to show everybody how big and bad you were. Well, take a look at your face, Mike Miller, and you don't see my face looking like that, do you? Huh? So next time, Mike Miller, you have a few too many, and this may go as a little lesson to anybody that's watching out there. If ever you're out celebrating sometime, and ever you have a few too many to drink, don't try to show anybody how tough you are because, you see, your reactions may be a little bit impaired like Mike Miller's was. I'm sure he thought he was fighting a heck of a fight. But as you can tell, Mike Miller, you weren't, and you can't, and you ain't going to be because I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to be looking over my shoulder, and I don't want to be worrying about every time I step in the ring, is Mike Miller going to be jumping on my back? So we're going to end this once and for all because I told Eddie, you want some of me? That's fine. I want some of you, Mike Miller, and I'll show you, punk, that you can't beat me. I'll show you why you ain't in the top ten, and I'll show you, drunk or sober, that you ain't half the man the king is because I'm going to make your face look twice as bad as it does right now. Eddie, will you sign that match for this week? Run him out. Sign the match. Put the match on the card. The match will take. Do you hear that? Do you hear that, Mike Miller? You want some of me? You got it, pal. You come on down there, and I'm going to give you a little bit of advice. I'm going to tell you this before this match. You better take you a good stiff drink before this match, because that may be the only way to dull some of the pain that you're in for when I get my hands on you. Match aside, it'll be added to the card Monday night at the Coliseum. Back in a moment. Again, only in Memphis could you do an angle like this. Really? I mean, because it's the way everything is in Memphis, you know, and it's just it's the only place this angle could work. Put that way. Yeah. And it helps that everyone knows that the lead babyface doesn't drink. Yeah. Exactly. And it's just, uh, I mean... It's just, it's just a total Memphis angle. Here's what waits it. What I don't understand is why a promotion trying to sell tickets to their events establishes that their wrestlers get more injured in one bar fight than they do when they wrestle five nights straight. Well, because he was drunk and blindsided, relatively. I mean, regardless of which version you believe, it's understandable why he'd be fucked up. Yeah. I guess this is just way not understanding Memphis. That, I don't know, something like this in Memphis, you know. 
Yeah, and then of course I accidentally, as I was putting my remote down, hit the computer with it. So that's that noise you just heard. Okay. I saw it on the meter. Did you hear it? Hear it? I heard something, but it wasn't like there was a big deal or anything. So okay. Well, it wasn't right by the microphones, I guess. But anyway. But yeah, I mean, it's a. Uh... But toward a forceful lawyer that day, I tried to, uh, you know, talk about how they're working both with W7WF and then this whole Mike Miller angle. Yeah. All right. So Brian Christopher, too sexy, challenged Jeff Jarrett to a Southern title match January the 4th, which Jarrett ended up winning. And Jarrett agreed to the match only if Brian Christopher would put up of $2,000 and Mr. Clyde's hair. So Clyde ended up getting his head shaved. Now, the week before, during our week, Brian's uh, servant, friend, whatever you want to call him, Zeke Rivers, got his head shaved. So let's go to Brian on TV, and let's see how all this played out as uh, Jeff Jarrett wants some hair. Everybody wants Brian's hair, but he'll take anybody else's hair that comes in his way. to say with Zeke Rivers with a fresh haircut here. Get Jeff Jack down here right now. Why does Zeke have an umbrella? He's one of his he's a manservant. Hey, the Jeff Jack, everybody with half a brain sees Hell, you beat me. You're standing out here with a big smile on your face and all your glory because you cheated me and shaved his head. Well, Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett, I know you have said that you will not put the title on the line until I put my hair on the line. But, boy, but, boy, hey, last week you said that I'd be out here all alone. Everybody would desert me, huh? Well, Zeke is still here, and I got somebody... That is not jealous of me like everybody else. I got somebody that will stick with me also, and I want to bring him out here right now. Mr. Clyde, come out here. Come on. Oh. Because Jeff Jarrett, I got a deal for you. Hey, don't you dare even laugh, boy. Listen to me. Listen to me, Jeff Jarrett. Do you say everybody would desert me after you shaved Zeke's head? Well, I got the deal of a lifetime. This week, Jeff Jarrett, you put that Southern heavyweight title on the line. I will put Clyde's hair on the line. You understand? You beat me. You shave Clyde's head. All you got to do is put the title on the line. Big deal. Big deal. I don't care about Zeke's hair. And I don't care about Mr. Clyde's hair. Unless your hair is on the line, don't even talk to me anymore, Brian. Hey, listen, come here, Jeff Jarrett. Come here, boy, come here. Come here, sissy. Come here, sissy. Come here. Uh, yeah, you're sissy. Come over here. Hey, this week, listen to me. I will put Clyde's hair on the line and a thousand dollars. One thousand dollars. How does that sound, Jeff Jarrett? You look real spiffy today in your in your suit. I guess you got best dressed when you were in high school, but I don't think you got most intelligence. Do you understand English? Unless it's your hair, no go. Boy, I understand 
English, boy. I was a valedictorian of my class, you understand? I'm very smart. Oh, yeah, let's laugh. Hey, I heard you were most likely to be a bleach blonde when you were in school, weren't you, boy? I tell you what, I'll make a better deal with you. <laughs> Clyde's hair on the line and $2,000. Yeah. Smart plan from the valedictorian. Yeah, the valedictorian. Say it once, but I've said it a thousand times. I've asked Eddie Marlin to book me against you every night of the week so I can teach you a little wrestling lesson. Unless you put your hair on the line, you, you won't even get a title shot. You'll never see that Southern Heavyweight title. So I don't want to hear any more of your deals. I don't want to look at Zeke anymore. I don't want to look at Mr. Clyde anymore. And I certainly don't want to look at you anymore. Yeah, you ain't. Oh, no. me. Has indicated that the only deal he's going to take is Brian's hair on the line. Well, we're not going to get this settled out here. Jeff is not interested. Let's take a break and we'll be back after this. Brian, we're taking a break. Can you guess what happens? Why he accepts? Mr. Clyde gets his head shaved. Oh, okay. Which, le- which oh, is this we're is not all continuing the with bit- the rest of the angle, though. No, this is why. I mean, this is why. This is what's building up to the t- the hair match on TV, which right. would be, I think, on the sixteenth. All these these different hair cuttings, because Jerry's getting scalps, and now it's time for the big one. And then Brian wins the title. Yeah. And one of the best team matches in Memphis history, too. Fantastic television match. So uh, everybody needs to go find that on YouTube. Watch that whole angle where Lawler comes out with the – we did it on the show. Lawler comes out with a picture of Brian with a bald head that he drew. And uh, it's, yeah, it's the whole angle. It's just fantastic. So everybody go check that out. Another great mem- episode of Memphis Wrestling, USWA. Lots going on. And 93 would be a hell of a year for him. You know, we get McMemphis and just all kinds of people coming in and out. Yeah, strong year in the beginning of PG-13 starting to rise up. So, yeah, hell of a year. Well, promotion that's not having a hell of a year, Global Wrestling Federation. Let's go to the torch. New Year's Day, this water tour in front of an estimated 1,700 fans, Vix. They take to ESPN Television. In the opener, Alistair Pug Porto pinned Mamma Villalobos with a roll up when new referee Dave McAllister made an exceptionally fast count for the pin. Ah, yes, less than a year after the last heel referee. <laughs> Stephen Dane. Uh. <laughs> Ass. Pin Nakona at the hitting Nakona with brass knuckles. Is that Mark or Chris Youngblood? Uh, that would be Chris. Okay. okay. So Brave Sky was the mark. Yes. Gaston B. Means came out that they're matching announced to the crowd that he was going to have Carrie Von Eric arrested for assault. Wade notes that Carrie probably has reservations. Now, actually, is that Wade or could that be uh, Freddie Fargo? 
Well, it was in a tour, so maybe afraid of Fargo. Uh, he then went on to state he was going to be suing Carrie for every dollar he had. Carrie then showed up. He took off Means glasses and punched him before walking off. All right, all right again, Bix, for the people that don't know, Gaston B. Means. I don't remember. So you remember Gaston B. Means' background? No. Really? Okay. Uh, he was a... Uh, he was a manager for Global. Um, I'm trying to think of, of how I would describe him. Uh, God. How would I describe Gatsby Means? I don't know. But, yeah, he was a uh, one of the meaning guys that was a manager in Global in this era. So, uh Yeah. He was oh he was um, the evil attorney. That's right. Okay. Yes. Because you got him and Jackie Goldman and Sebastian and Gary Hart. I mean, it's just so much going. No, Jackie Goldman's right. later, I think. Calvin Knapp. <laughs> Ass. <laughs> then Mike Lane will roll up. Alice, Alice the Pub Porto then entered to work over Knapp's knee. And so Bobby Duncan Jr. made the save. So the pug and Calvin Nat picks, huh? Sure. <laughs> Super Destroyer, Wobble Irwin beat Booker T, managed by Gary Hart and Sebastian. Sebastian was wearing a motorcycle helmet and shoulder pads, mounted the ring, and who was not wearing that, mounted the ring apron. When Booker tried to get him to leave, Super D just schoolboyed him for the pin. Booker then went up to Sebastian, but Gary stopped him. Of course, Sebastian. Was their Jameson ripoff, and now he's heel. Yeah. <laughs> All right, then you have uh, what we got here next. I think I scrolled down just a tad too far. Oh yeah, Tribal Nation, Brave Sky and Nakona, the Youngbloods beat Bad Breed. Ian Axel Rotten when Nakona pinned Ian after Brave Sky came off top of what it needs to back. Killed Tim Brooks pinned Laney Shane, who bled heavily, had to be helped to the back after Killer had on the board. In a double log chain match where all four wrestlers were the ring, joined the wrist. Giant Mantel and Super Destroyer defeated Carrie Von Eric and Bobby Duncan Jr. That's a match. Mm-hmm. When Mantel pinned Duncan after Skandar Atbar pushed him off the top rope. Atbar claimed it was Carrie's fault that Black Bart was not there, but uh, Von Eric denied it. Duncan bled heavily. He and Von Eric were beaten with saddlebags. Von Eric made a Superman comeback, clothesline both heels, and ran him off. Booker T with Sebastian beat Terry Garmin-Sons by submission to, with the by Claw. Maniac Mike Davis defeated Hollywood John Tatum by disqualification when Tatum threw him over the top rope. Sebastian didn't mount in the ring and Brandon Baxter went after him. He chased him around the ring. Tatum lifted Baxter above his head and tossed him to the arena floor where he was caught by Mike. Baxter received a legitimate foot injury and had to be helped to the back. Yeah, Kyle, like, I think if I remember right, I don't know if it broke his ankle, but he was on like crutches at the that's ah. ah, yes, Bix. The early uh, 1993 era Global Wrestling Federation is uh, something else. Something to behold. Acting. <laughs> you know, this stuff used to be on YouTube, but it's not anymore where I can easily find it, sadly, from this era. So, uh, I was hoping maybe I could get find something for a clip, but I just don't see anything that's that's there for the for the taking. 
So, uh, yeah, Gold Rush Federation. It's just, just a wild era of shit here. So much going on. Not, and not much of it good. Well, let's close that with the World Wrestling Federation. Not a whole hell of a lot going on here, but some interesting stuff. Phil Mushnick of the New York Post had a column mentioned on December 28th about the nails incident. Here's some pro wrestling news you won't read the Slam Slammers column. The wrestling headliner known as Nails, real name Kevin Wackholz, was fired by the WF on December 14th. But at the same time, he filed a report with the Green Bay Police stating that he pushed WF President Vince McMahon to the ground after McMahon tried to sexually assault him. The incident is alleged to have taken place in a locker room in Green Bay's Brown County Expo Center prior to a WF show. The latest in a string of drug, sex, and child abuse charges against WF executives and employees have been has been dismissed by WF spokesman as a case of Wackholz attempting to extort money from McMahon. Green Bay police are investigating. Wackholz, according to the police report, claims McMahon sexually assaulted him on another occasion last month at Madison Square Garden. Wackholz and their vice president's lawyer has yet to make any public comments. The $150,000 Wackholz was allegedly trying to extort from McMahon at the time of the incident that was talked about by a Titan PR firm was, according to one WS source, money he wanted paid in advance for putting the Undertaker over every night at house shows. The SummerSlam payoff Wackholz was unhappy about reportedly was $8,000. Another major star of the Titan office put in contact with us, but asked an- anonymity because he was afraid of pro- possible prizes from other wrestlers stated that just recently during a drug test, Wackholz was complaining about the drug test being unconstitutional and allegedly made the statement that the only way to make money in this company was to claim to su- that somebody grabbed you, grabbed you by your you-know-what. Oh, my goodness. So Mustang's running with the Wackholz story. Yeah, um, I'm trying to find it. I have and scanned at one point uh, his copy of the police report, actually. But I can't find it right now. Um, We covered the week this happened before, right? We've talked about it for sure. Yeah, which is one of the more interesting observer stories of the era because of how many like named WWF sources there are. Like, Dave Hebner told The Observer, dot, dot, dot. Um, the thing I've wondered, though, I, it never made sense to me and everything else we know that it would be anything other than what the boys thought it was. But what the hell happened that there was a settlement when they sued each other? Maybe there was something else that Wackholz was new that was going to come out that maybe they were scared of. Is it possible he really did witness the conversation where he told Rude to get back on the gas? I would think it'd be something more serious than that. Hmm. Maybe. Just a hunch on my part. But yeah, when I saw that they had sued each other and settled, I forget who sued first, because I feel like that made it more conspicuous. But I thought that was really weird. Like, there's got to be something else we don't know, but who knows what that could be. Yeah. Um, But you get why the other wrestlers thought he just strangled Vince and then was like, I have an idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially if they really did make that comment to someone. Yeah. 
The Village Voice named New York Postville Mushnick as a well-known name of wrestling fans and executives, particularly New York, as Commerce of the Year. The first time listening to the article in the award was Mushnick's work in uncovering the World Wrestling Federation scandals. Mushnick was also credited for printing detailed excerpts from Marge Schott's depositions, revealing that Andre Agassi's seemingly spontaneous Wimbledon celebration was actually a rehearsed act, railed against 24-hour casinos in Atlantic City, was critical of the White House's silence on the steroid issue, and Arnold Schwarzenegger's role as the head of the President's Council on Physical Fitness, the hypocrisy of Bill White's charges that baseball executives are racist, and were the, and that, which were the main items in Mushnick's uncovering greed and hypocrisy in the sports world. So Phil had a busy 1992, didn't he? Yeah. Um, okay, so that's what the March shot thing was because I remember. Um, have you ever read the read, ever read ever read the thing that uh, Tim Marshman wrote at Deadspin about his weird phone call with Mushnick? No. Oh, it was about him. I think Marchman called him a race baiter or something, and. Mushnick, like, on the phone was like, how can you call me racist? You know who got Marge shot out of baseball? I got Marge shot out of baseball. And <laughs> Marchman's response was like, I think Marge shot got Marge shot kicked out of baseball. <laughs> but, okay, this at least helps give context to what that Sounds like Mad and Bill Watts, doesn't it? <laughs> so it was depositions from lawsuits about her a racially hostile work environment, I guess. Yeah. Okay, that explains that then. But anyway, yeah. Anything, was, anything else on Mushnick? I was curious to see if this was online anywhere, but the ProQuest Village Voice article—I uh, almost said article—archive starts at the beginning of '93, and I guess this was at the end of '92, so couldn't find the actual article here. But you know, he. <sighs> This is certainly some of his best work. Not just the WWF stuff either. Yeah. So, you get it. Yeah, like I said, he's a busy man. Yes, it's the it, it's, <laughs> it's the opposite side of the spectrum from his columns like the infamous one uh, that's referred to as the New York N-Words column. <laughs> yeah. Alright, so... Uh... Back to the, to the we still go over the torch now. It's made clear this weekend on television that Lex Luger will be entering the WWF as Narcissus, as a heel, and immediately feud with Mr. Perfect. This weekend, Bobby Heenan previewed the appearance of Narcissus, saying he would debut at the Royal Rumble. Heenan said Narcissus thinks more of himself than Henning thinks of himself. Well, let's go to Bobby the Brain Heenan on the television where he talks about Narcissus. You know something, Mr. Perfect? You got a pretty high opinion of yourself. You think you are the perfect athlete? The perfect wrestler? Well, after Ric Flair gets finished with you, you are going to be flawed, scarred, and tarnished. Which is why I will unveil to you, Mr. Perfect, and to all the humanoids throughout the world at the Royal Rumble, someone who is beyond perfect, someone who not only has a, a high opinion of himself, but is justifiably, truly in love with himself. And then, Mr. Perfect, 
when you feast your eyes on the person that I will unveil at the Royal Rumble, you will look back and say, why, I wasn't perfect at all. I didn't really measure up. I was really nothing without the influence of Bobby the Brain. If only I could look like Narcissus. That's right. All you ham and eggers at the Royal Rumble, the drape will drop. And so will the mouths of every man, woman, and child when you feast your eyes on Narcissus. <laughs> Narcissus. Not the Narcissus. Narcissus. Makes you wonder why they decided to go with a different na version of the name than what they originally had planned. Also in the first promo, doesn't Fabi call him the Narcissist? At the beginning, yeah. So he one goes from being Narcissist, he's like the Narcissist, the Narcissist. Narcissist. To Narcissist, to the Narcissist. Yes. And then at, I'm the, at the I'm Rumble, confused too. At the Rumble, <laughs> Bobby introduces him as Narcissus Lex Luger. Yes. It's all Look very at confused. that. Look at that. <laughs> We've done that, right? Uh, I think so, yes. All right. Also on television during our week, Kamal and Harvey Whippleman on the Wrestling Challenge with Ray Rougeau, and uh, it's the end of a relationship. Let's go to the clip. My guest this week is accompanied by his manager, Dr. Harvey Whippleman, and his handler, Kim Chi, the Ugandan giant, the mighty Kamala. Take a look at this trio. What a trifecta, huh? It's obvious to me and to everyone that since Kamala was put into that coffin at Survivor Series, that he is not the same man. You're exactly right. This is not the same Kamala. Because the Kamala that got put in the coffin at Survivor Series was trying to think for himself when we all know that he's a stupid, ignorant, backwards, savage. So now, through our positive reinforcement, he will listen to what we say. He will do what we tell him because he has no mind of his own. He has no brain of his own. The only thing he understands is our positive reinforcement, which consists of a slap to the back of the head, a punch to the face, a gouge to the eyes. It doesn't matter. Whatever it takes for him to do what we tell him, that's exactly what we're going to do. Is all this necessary? I don't agree with your methods. Well, first of all, Raymond, I don't care what you agree with. You're an announcer. I'm a manager. Yes, it's necessary. Because the only thing this savage understands is being hit in the head. Oh, look, it's the red Wait a minute. Wait, 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 What is this guy? He's got the nerve to come out here during my time. Reverend, Reverend, I'm sorry. This time slot was allotted for Kamala. Listen, brother. Get out of here. I understand that. And I know I don't have any business being out here. But I've been in the back listening, and I just can't sit by and listen to this man talk all this trash. Let me tell you something, Harvey Whippleman. 
You call this man a savage? You call this man a wild animal? A beast? Well, let me tell you something. He's not an animal. He's a man. He's a human being. And I wouldn't treat a dog the way you can treat this man. He doesn't need to be kicked or stoked, but this man needs to be treated with some kindness and some human compassion. And let me tell you something, Harvey. You better heed my words because they are the message of light. We don't need to hear this goofing. Get him out of here. We're leaving. Come on. Hey, they want to hear the truth. I mean, it was, uh, I mean, they, the execution on, it, I thought was, was, was done, was well done on getting him over, on getting him over the baby face turn. Yes. Stuff. Yes. I would agree with that. <laughs> I mean, I, I think the question I have is, does this make the gimmick more or less racist? I feel like it's both. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like, I can't even wrap my head around it. I mean, it's doing something different with Kamala that hadn't been done before, basically, you know? And I guess they were trying to make him into a new version of George the Animal Steel. You know? So were they going to reveal that he has organic brain disease? <laughs> and a calcium deposit on his medulla oblongata? <laughs> I guess. No, wait, excuse me. Organic brain disease was Albano. But yeah. George just got shock therapy. Yeah. But anyway, you know. It's an idea. It's different. All right. The new Saturday morning television show on USA Network, which originally was going to be called Slam and Jam, will instead be named WF Mania. Because WCW beat them to the punch calling their record album Slam and Jam. No, they didn't. They called it Slam Jam. <laughs> so was was Mania going to be called Slam Jam or Slam and Jam? I don't know. Because the other thing is, the WWF album was going to be called Slam Jam, based on their already hit UK single, Slam Jam. But then WCW came out with Slam Jam in the US first. So it became WrestleMania the album, and the song Slam Jam became... SummerSlam Jam yes. in the United States, which, despite being, uh, no, excuse me, I was going to say that it's the one that begins with uh, the Jimmy Garvin Are You Ready for the Survivor series, which we didn't realize was Jimmy Garvin until a few years ago, 
but uh, that I think is WrestleMania that begins with that, not SummerSlam Jam, right? Yeah. Very confusing. Very. But then finally, after the the uh, WCW Slam Jam album is in the rearview mirror, they named the Doc Hendricks Event Center segment Slam Jam. Mm-hmm. There will be a quiz later. <laughs> yes. Dave Lee's Randy Savage is going to do the Superstar Show with Vince McMahon and Jerry Lawler and Coast Monday Night Raw Show. Savage will do some wrestling, but not be involved in regular programs and not work full-time. And he can wear thin at times, but I did like Savage on commentary at times. Yeah. He was better in this run than he was in 91. Where he was still kind of a heel, but not exactly. Yeah, for a while. Yeah. Um... Speaking of Savage, since I didn't have a good other spot to put this in here, I guess, I just found something from our week from the uh, Chronicle section of the New York Times on New Year's Eve by Marvine Howe. And yes, this is very short, but I have to read this. And if anyone doubted it, those hunks of the World Wrestling Federation, okay, have hearts. The Federation and some of its biggest stars have pledged to donate $100,000 to the Red Cross to kick off a campaign for Somalian relief, said Vincent K. McMahon, who heads Titan Sports, the parent company of the Federation. We can't help being moved by those graphic pictures of the Somalians, particularly during the holiday season, Mr. McMahon said yesterday in a telephone interview. He said that all the Federation's receipts from the Madison Square Garden Championship, okay, on January 29th, would go to a fund of the American Red Cross for food, medicine, and relief supplies in Somalia. A majority of the 30 wrestlers appearing on the event will also give all or part of their individual purses, ranging from $2,000 to $10,000, Mr. McMahon said. The campaign will start on January 9th with an appeal to fans, sponsors, and licensees to join in, Mr. McMahon said. The message will be broadcast over the Federation's syndication at, excuse me, syndicated network, which reaches 41 countries. We're excited about this celebration because the whole country is behind the Somali effort, said Macho Man Randy Savage, former world champion, who said that he would give his entire pay from the garden give yes, give his entire pay from the garden event, and that he had, quote, no doubt our fans will give too. What exquisite timing. Yeah. I'm sure the wrestlers loved hearing Vince just volunteer for them, that especially with the way business is going down. He's volunteering that they're going to donate their MSG payoffs. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> All right, uh, Doink the... Yeah. Doink the Clown is scheduled to face Bret Hart for the title beginning in February. Whether curiosity factor at Doink is enough to get people to buy tickets is at best questionable. As far as credibility of the title, having a comedy character like the Clown challenging... Brett for the WF title without any victories or any actual wrestling buildup is probably as extreme as the WF mo- moving away from traditional pro wrestling promote- promoting. However, since the match is headlining other events, head- match headlining other events is Yokozuna versus The Undertaker, the WF should not expect a strong first quarter as far as arena attendance. Okay. Has Doink had TV squashes yet? He's doing angles. And stuff. He's he's doing the feud with Crush right now. The angles of Crush. So he has at least attacked. Has he attacked Crush yet? Even? I don't think he's attacked Crush yet. No. Okay, so that's why Dave thinks the Doink is a comedy character. What's his way? 
Or excuse me, wait. Because that would so, change. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, house shows. White Plains, New York, Westchester County Center on December 28th. For 3,000. The last show of the year. Bam Bam Bigelow over Virgil. Bell the Brothers over the Bushwhackers. Tito Santana over I'm Mike Sharp. Tatanka over Damian Demento. Bob Backlund over Rip Martell. That's an interesting match. And Undertaker over Papa Shango. Then the beginning of the year, the new year, January 1st, is St. Louis at the St. Louis Arena. 4,800. Saw Lance Cassidy, Steve Armstrong over Skinner. Head Shrinkers over High Energy. Owen Hart, Coco Beware. Virgil over Terry Taylor. I'm sure he enjoyed that. Tatanka over Damian Demento. Bob Backlund over the Berserker. Sean Michael State Nice Tyler over Marty Gennetti. Yokozuna Randy Savage and Undertaker Papa Shango. The other crew was at Auburn Hills at the Palace in Michigan. January 1st, uh, 3600. Tito Santana over B- the Brooklyn Brawler. Bam Bam Bigelow over Typhoon with a diving headbutt. Mr. Perfect over Razor by disqualification with Ric Flair interfered. Money retained tag titles over the Nasty Boys that used in the briefcase. Nasty's originally won the match by pinfall, but the match restarted as a referee had been knocked down moments for the pinfall. Crush over Bo Beverly. Repo Man over Jim Powers. And Brett retained the title beating Ric Flair in 24-14. Hmm. And we got some quick hits from the torch to close out. Oh, I was Tom just going to say... Um... Go ahead. The Nassau show I went to on this run, I think, was on the 27th and right before a week, right? Yeah, the day before. Did we do that week already? Uh, I think so. Yeah, the way our dates line up here. All right. Uh, Tom Bork, who wrestled most recently as Max Moon, also Kato and Paul Diamond, was fired by WF. WF could consider keeping the Max Moon character with someone else under the mask. Lightning Kid would be a possible choice. At six foot two or more high risk moves than Bork, he could probably get WS fans' attention. By the way, kid, it was interesting. We're going to WA event, has recovered fully, and has already returned to the ring. Oh, thank he you. He could, Wade. huh, Wade? He could, huh, Wade? <laughs> <laughs> also, like, the reason it ended up being Paul Diamond was that you had a, like, shorter, stocky, muscular guy who could fit in the outfit you already had made for Conan and said he could do the moves. Yeah. You would have to get a new outfit for John Waldman. And he would very obviously be a different person. Yes. Um, injured several weeks ago, which would be the concussion in the Bill Wilcox match. Which, I mean, that's 1992 for you. Yeah. And I'm guessing Paul Diamond was fired because... A little marijuana or a little speed or something to make <laughs> you feel better. Yeah. Probably so. Well, especially this era. Nails is firing, especially embarrassing considering Nails on the cover of the current WF magazine. That's the one with Undertaker, right? Yeah. And apparently the real reason WF hired Jerry Lawler is because they invested a tremendous sum of money for the WF Telestrator, i.e. John Madden. But Bobby Heenan was such a poor drawer, it was not used to its potential. Lawler, a legitimate artist, was brought in and showed his worth this weekend with a beautiful rendition of Doink. Do you honestly believe that Wade is right here, that the only reason they brought Lawler in to be an announcer is because of the Telestrator? You're not supposed to be a good artist, so my gut is no. John Matt is not a good artist. No. I can see it being a consideration. 
you know, we just spent all this money on this telestrator. Let's bring in someone who can do color who actually will be able to use it to its full potential. Yes. So are you with me there that it's like, it's, it's probably not the reason, but I can see it being a reason. Yes. I wonder who yes. told him it was the reason. <laughs> I'm curious on that. Would that be Jerome O'Neill Lawler? Uh, maybe. <laughs> Why would? But if it's Lawler telling Wade that he wouldn't say it was the only reason, though, because then yeah, that's that would make Lawler look him that, as a talker. Yeah. yeah, and as a personality altogether. Hmm. Brucey. It's possible. I don't know. But when I saw that torch, I thought it was very weird. And they do heavily use the Telestrator while he's there for the first little bit. And then they just get rid of it altogether. Yeah. But yeah, that's the big thing about Lawler is they they, they, he's, he, they, break, they do the thing, he gets in there, and he makes his little drawings. The uh, Magistrator. Yes. So... Maybe there's something to this. Cause the time, the timing of Lawler coming in was it was interesting. You know why all of a sudden, and why also starting him on prime time when you're about to end the show? Yeah, I don't know. So maybe there's some smoke to this fire. I think there's some. I just don't think it's the accelerant. And he's he's the third wheel on superstars in a way. It's you know Savage and Vince, and then Lawler. Lawler being like the new version of Honky Tonk or a heel version of Piper <laughs> or something like that. So that's how he's brought in. It's just in that role. He doesn't become a real personality until the spring when he starts doing the stuff with Brett. Yeah. One of the reasons the Brett angle at King of the Ring works so well is that it comes so out of nowhere, but it makes sense. And it's more surprising yeah. because he's mainly just been this – you know, third wheel, yuck, yuck, color guy. Yeah. You know, kind of like how Miro in AEW, however much longer that lasts, <laughs> ended up being more effective, apparently by design, because they had done the like video game gimmick first, so it made it more effective when he snapped. Yeah. But anyway. Well, that's it for our week crossing 92 and 93. What do we got next week? With next 387. Week, next week on Between the Sheets, we go back to 1995. Ooh. Yes. Where we actually have a dome show to talk about. We'll have New Japan's Tokyo Dome show. Oh, so we get to talk about Tony Palmore. And the various spellings of his name. <laughs> um, but we have WCW. Where we have a live version of the main event to talk about, plus uh, other TV tapings, WCW Saturday Night, and uh, one of the more promising WCW wrestlers leaves for Greener Pastures. So we'll have uh, news on that. We got NWA Dallas news to talk about. We got some uh, wild USWA clips to talk about involving our dearly departed friend Scott Bowden. We got the USWA where Jim Cornette's having uh, quite the promos on the gangsters and uh, the end of Boots the Cat and oh. the, controversy, the controversy surrounding all that. So we'll have that 
going on next week. We also have, uh, let's see where else we got going on here. We got all kinds of other indie news. We got news on uh, Carlos Mania's UWA as they're getting ready to go down the toilet. And a new wrestling, new neutral promotion has a, pre- uh, has a press conference announcing their arrival. So we'll have news on that. And plus AAA, big angles going on there as Conan turns back Technico again. And news on whether they're going to be on pay-per-view again in the United States. We got a golden week in Japan, as, of course, the Dome Show's going on, but all kinds of other indie shows going on. IWA Japan runs some hot shows. FMW running some big shows. Uh, the Tokyo Dome. And then we have an interesting uh, on-the-ground report from a Wrestling Observer reader to talk about from that show. New All Japan, of course, running their first shows of the year, so we'll have on that. And in the World Wrestling Federation, we got this two, the second year anniversary of Monday Night Raw from Houston, featuring William Shatner. No. And uh, the debut of Mantar and all <laughs> kinds of other shenanigans. But also we have Extreme Championship Wrestling, their first show of the year, 1995, at the ECW Arena featuring, you guessed it, Shane Douglas and Tully Blanchard going to a quote-unquote 60-minute draw and so much more. And we are joined by a returning guest for the first time in a long time, over two years. Well, almost two years, actually. Joe Sposto returns to Between the Sheets next week. So it should be 2021. Yeah, so it should be – he wasn't on at all in 2022. So, yeah, so so Joe will be back and – we got all kind of stuff. Should be a fun, fun show next week, folks. So yeah. I look forward to that. When you said there was a guest, I figured it was either him or Emil. With when you were stressing the ECW stuff, I figured it was Joe. <laughs> yeah. So because uh, uh, yeah, I she, presume he's at the arena show. I mean, it's very possible. Okay. But um, so yeah, so should be a fun show next week on Between the Sheets. All right, Bex is it for us this week. Thanks as always. You're to rock the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode Patreon special edition, episode number 75. I'm your host, Chris Zona, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix and Span. And Bix, it's time for part three and the final part of our look back at 25 years of Montreal. Yes, I am, uh, I am ready to move past Montreal, my good sir. <laughs> yeah, but we had to do it, you know, the anniversary and everything, so it's something that had to be done. So, um, yeah, we'll be moving on uh, next month and next year to uh, other topics, so be ready for that. Yes. All right. Let's start off where we left off. Now we're going to the month of December. Finally. <laughs> yeah, because we had two shows that covered one month. Pretty much. So now we're, now we're in December. All right, let's move on to the week of December the 8th now, towards December 13th. Alberta Report and Observer, December 15th. We start with the Alberta Report. Excerpt from That Wasn't in the Script. Wrestler Brett Hitman Hart's double cross in his last WF match by Davis Sheremata for the Alberta Report. Brett Hart agreed to go along with a request from Vincent Mann to lose his belt for leaving the WF, but the wrestler asked if he could retain the belt. During the WF's Canadian tour and lose it when WF hit Illinois and New York later in November and December. I was not going to go out of my back in Can- uh, from Canada, says Brett. I owe it to my fans. I owe it to Canada not to lose on their Remembrance Day weekend. Unbridled Canuck patriotism has long been part of the hitman persona. Not only has Brett scolded American fans of their country to design- take care of his sick and elderly, he recently told a Pittsburgh audience that the U.S. needed an enema, and their city was the ideal place to insert the hose. Last week, both uh, Jim Neidhart and Hart ally David Boy Smith quit the WF to join the Hitman in WCW in the WCW. Must be a Canadian thing. It has Owen to will be. leave. Owen would leave as well if not for his ironclad contract requiring three more years under McMahon. Every champion the WF has ever had for the Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan, has left with a bitter hatred for Vince. Says Brett. I asked Vince if he was going to make fun of my character when I leave. He said, "Absolutely not. We'd never do that to you." On the next day broadcast, it was advertised that Brett would make an appearance with Shawn Michaels in the ring. Major dressed up as the hitman in the Clement of the Rose, where he was viciously mocked and beaten up by Michaels. Brett, who still is in Calgary, is hoping for the help DWCW, which has never organized a match in Canada. Organized a match, which is a lie because they have. It's a, to get a foothold over the border. They ran Canada in 1993. They were in Canada in 1990. Yeah, they ran 93, too, if I'm mistaken. No, 90, definitely, yes. Because 90 was I'm, when um, they had the show but, where, like, there was the, the, the toxic the, gas leak at the ice rink or whenever it was. They well, they had the thing when, in 90, which was uh, people were talking about, the, you know, the whole thing with Flair was going to quit. Oh, because Rupert the tour dro- was so rotten or whatever it was? No, dropping the title of the Luger and stuff. No, that whole time period, because that was the time period where they heard one of the drop title Luger. But what does that have to do with Canada? Because they were in Toronto. Oh, when well, all that stuff went to the Toronto newspapers, the one that was like putting that story out there. But anyway, we did that. We covered that in the show. Mm. Uh, I mentioned getting to the Toronto Sky Dome with Hogan and BC Place, maybe even Molson Center, where I could make it with all those fans for leaving a dirty taste in their mouths, he says. Adding that retirement from the ring is only three years away. I look forward to disappearing from the public eye. I look forward to throwing my wrestling boots into the Elbow River. Now, he ends up signing an extension in WCW, doesn't he? Even if it ends up being moot with the injury, yeah. the budget cuts and stuff. Let me see real quick if this says when his extension was signed. 
Yeah, so he had signed an extension that would have put him under contract through the end of November oh two. So he was talking the three year talk here, but he had signed for longer. Yeah, it was in ninety nine. Like um in his book he mentions that during his conversation with Vince before Owen's funeral, which just as a reminder everyone, the lawyers told Brett not not to talk about Owen with Vince. Um Vince was bringing up the idea, why don't you just come back, work for me, finish your career here? And Brett's like, I don't even know if I could wrestle again, and even if I wanted to and to leave WCW, you know, I just signed an extension, blah, blah, blah. So in 99, I guess, I guess in 99, early 99, yeah, what am I talking about? He was being used better, though, when he re-signed. You know, it was a little messed up, but they had the Toronto, you know, Goldberg angle. He was about to wrestle a match on The Tonight Show. Like, I could see why he was optimistic compared to how they yeah. been. So, I guess the other, you know, interesting quote here is the not going out on my back in Canada thing. Just him being that blunt about it, I guess. Yeah. What do you think of that? Well, I mean, like we, we, we didn't talk about it, you know, about being a mark for the, can- the Canadian, you know, motif of his character. Yeah. You know, and 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 how this if if this show had not been in Canada, then there wouldn't be hardly no problem, hardly any problems. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that it was in Canada, so yeah. December fifteenth, torch. December twentieth, McLean's an observer. December twenty second, ex from Real Life Wrestling. The hitman lives up to his name by Dale Eisler from McLean's. Taking a break from his daily workout in the in his gym in the 810 square meter five bedroom home in Northwest Calgary, Bernhardt gingerly extends his right hand to greet a visitor. It isn't much of a handshake. The six foot, 235 pound heart offers only limp fingers and no grip, hardly what one would expect from a five time champion of the World Wrestling Federation. I gave the wrestler handshake. <laughs> well, read on. But yeah, it's a good excuse. I got a broken bone in my hand, so I have to be careful. Uh, there is that. It says Brad, whose soft voice bears no resemblance to the imitating growl, the character known as the worldwide as the hitman. The explanation gets even more interesting when Brad admits he broke the bone by landing a haymaker punch at upper jaw of Vincent Mann, founder, owner, and promoter of WWF. A company that's taken professional wrestling out of the seedy low rent arenas and turned it into a multi million dollar international TV spectacle. I've got a sore hand, but I figure he's a lot sore, says Brad with a hint of satisfaction. Professional wrestling, of course, is not a sport as so much as lowbrow theater. Theater. There was the method of acting and character development that was crucial as body slams and pile drivers. But Hart's punch was a real thing and it reverberated around the wrestling world. Vince suffered a concussion from the blow but had his ankle broken in the ensuing melee when others intervened and still bothered by blurred vision that he says could be permanent. And while Vince has not pressed charges for what he calls an unprovoked attack, he doesn't rule out legal action. If his sight is permanently impaired, I feel hurt at a personal level, said Vince. Brett and I were friends for a long time, and I never thought he would do that, do what he did. It seems like his hitman character became the same as Bret Hart. But for God's sake, this is entertainment, not real life. I said I'm not going to be trashing a million in my own country, and Vince said he agreed, and that was the right way to go, says Brett. But Vince doesn't remember it that way. Definitely told McLean's that he and two others met with Brett on October 21st in Tulsa to say that Sean would win the bell from Brett when they met in Montreal. It was not Brett's preference, said Vince, but he knew that was the plan. Okay. 
<laughs> that was a lot here. Okay. Do we think Paul J has told Brett not to say that they have a recording? Um, possible. I feel like he must have, right? Yeah. Because otherwise, especially if you're doing this in this like prestige mainstream magazine, wouldn't you offer up, hey, the documentary crew that was following me around had me mic'd up when I went over the finish with Vince? Yeah. So I'm guessing they have an agreement not to talk about this until Western with Shadows comes out. Um, yeah. Interesting. This, I mean, this is the first time we're hearing Vince quotes in this kind of context, too. Yeah. In Montreal. You know, otherwise it was, you know, just Brett screwed Brett. But Vince is being a lot more tougher here. Yeah. <laughs> well, we move on a little bit. Brett was concerned also in the ratings for WCWF has given his productions a more adult flavor. Listen, wrestlers rants for profanity and sexual overtones. Brett, who is married with four kids, age seven to 14, had built this character to heroic proportions by playing the tough guy ultimately did what was right. If kids are watching Brett Hart on TV on Saturday morning, he says, you can know they're in good hands. But McMahon dismisses Brett's concerns as a cop-out by someone who has not changed with the times. Former colleagues say Brett's been a model of employee willing to go over wrestling talk for go over wrestling talk for lose when he was whenever he was asked i can't speak for what happened between brett or vince says ken shamrock he if wrestle known as the most dangerous man alive which they capitalized but, I, but that's not the nickname no but i can say that brett's the kind of guy all wrestlers look up to brett put it this way i gave the cover everything i had i did everything they asked often more 250 bouts a year and all that time i missed only two dates as a lawyer employee i thought the company would be loyal to me in a world of make-believe where the words are usually as phony as the wallops, the hitman sounds really hurt. Wow. Well, a lot of uh, uh, yeah, a lot of vernacular here. Wallops. Yeah. <laughs> Is McLean's a Canadian publication? Yeah. Okay, I didn't know. I think it's McLean's, but yeah. McLean's, McLean's. Let's see here. It'd be McLean's, but. It is – their uh, website says mclean.ca, Canada's magazine, since 1905. I wonder if they covered the first NWA World Heavyweight Champion. <laughs> Stu Hart already been in business for 10 years by then, so in the – Yuck, yuck, yuck. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash Between the Sheets.